The Big Scary Show is brought to you in part by Dark Imaginings. Web design, creepy changing portraits, and much, much more. DarkImaginings.com For the deepest, darkest creeps, to the backwoods swamp near the bottom, to the inside of your castle, to the fears lying deep inside your subconscious, it's time for a big, scary show. And I'm with the Hewitt's Haunted House in Ladysmith, D.C., and you're listening to The Big Scary Show. Hi, this is Alan Show with Backwoods Oddities. You are listening to The Big Scary Show. Hi, my name is Andrew Long, and I am from Haunt for ATP in Palm Harbor, Florida, and you are listening to The Big Scary Show. Hello, creeps. It's me, John Kassir, the voice of... The Crypt Keeper. <laughs> and you're listening to The Big Scary Show, the top podcast in the industry. <laughs> this is Ari Lehman, the first Jason Voorhees from Friday the 13th. And you're listening to The Big Scary Show. Jason never dies. Hi, this is Angus Swim, and you're listening to The Big Scary Show. Hi, this is Noah from Top Haunts Magazine. You're listening to The Big Scary Show. You're listening to The Big Scary Show with three big scary men and one that wears more makeup than I do. episode 216 of the big scary show and we continue to hunker down with the rest of the haunted attraction community as haunts both large and small announce their plans for the opening and sadly not opening of the 2020 haunt season because of the coronavirus pandemic badger meets up and chats with ari lewin the first jason and discusses what's going on currently and how he is getting through the pandemic. The Roundtable of Terror returns as the co-hosts sit down with Alan of Backwood Oddities, Shonda Hurd of Hurd's Haunted House in British Columbia, and Andrew Long of Haunt for HEP and discuss charity haunts and their roles and also getting ready for the 2020 haunt season. Badger reads Deadline News and Storm rants about updating horror icons in a haunt minute. Meat Hook Jim returns with Between the Corpses and continues talking about funeral customs in Mexico. We 
have a new gruesome giveaway for August. And Feister returns with the Haunted Vista, with part five of the horror of it all. Someday, folks, he might actually finish it. And I'll be spinning some spooky tunes to try to keep you in the mood during this trying time. All this and more on episode 216 of The Big Scary Show. Keep it scary. Keep it safe. Enter the haunted world of Fright Find and discover an environment dedicated to promoting your haunt. Target customers who will influence others on attending haunt attractions as Fright Find brings in scream seekers looking for haunted places, events, and accommodations of every sort. Various exposure options give you the ability to reach your audience throughout the year. Don't be afraid. Go to FrightFind.com now to add your haunt for free. And see for yourself the difference Fright Find will make in your haunt listing. And ladies and gentlemen, it was 40 years ago this summer that the face of horror changed forever. The genre will never be the same after a little-known film came out called Friday the 13th. We all know who the person is, the big protagonist for Friday the 13th. We all know what he does and what he looks like and how he kills and kills and kills and kills and kills people. But 40 years ago, it wasn't quite like that. It was a little different. We had a, uh, you know, if you haven't seen the movie, I'm not going to give away any spoilers. But there was, but the, and if you haven't seen the movie, shame on you. But... The last 30 seconds of the movie has got a pretty neat little scene involving one Mr. Ari Lehman, who at the time I believe was around 13, just barely into his teens. And I've got him on the phone right now to talk about 40 years of Friday the 13th. Ari, are you with me from the Chicago area? Drew Badger! Drew Badger! It's always great to speak with you, sir. Long time, my friend. It's a... we have yeah, we, we have spoken at several conventions, so yes, indeed. And uh, well, you know, I've been I've been out there with first Jason, you know, in the hinterlands and doing a lot of that. And then also, I got to work on some new movies like The Barn Two with Renea Quigley and Lloyd Kaufman. And then uh, uh, also, I'm going out to work on Clown Motel Two. Oh Lord! <laughs> so in other words, I. I I did the barn one, and also Cromwell Jones. But, you know, um, yes, lo, these 40 years later, it is it is something, Drew. And I think that 
it is really the fans, the wonderfully dedicated fans of Jason Voorhees that have kept him alive low these 40 years, uh, you know, almost made Jason, and of course, really Mama Voorhees from the first movie, you know, um, um, if you will, kind of like a, like parts of American mythology. <laughs> Did you ever have a clue when you were a wee lad of about 13 or so, 12, 13, when you were filming this, that this was going to expand into sequel after sequel after sequel and just becoming one of the most successful horror franchises in history? Well, I have to say no. Because, you know, at that time, initially, I got involved with Sean Cunningham when I was about 12, 13, by sneaking into an audition at the YMCA. And that got me an 80-line role in a comedy called Nanny's Orphans, which was a, about a ragtag bunch of orphans who win their orphanage back from the mob in a soccer tournament. And Sean made, it was kind of like the soccer answer to the Bad News Bears. Okay? Oh my goodness. <laughs> and yes, 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 that's where, like, it's not for this movie. Victor Miller also wrote this movie. Harry Manfredini also worked on this movie. Barry Abrams, the director of photography for Friday the 13th, also. Uh, and of course, Sean S. Cunningham. And it's quite a good little movie, but the the, the problem was that nobody cared about soccer in America in 1979, 1978, 1979. So the studio must have said to Sean, hey, you know what? We need you to do something different. We need to, can you give us a horror movie here? And so in essence, he was left with the time and the budget to complete the, the contract, you see, with a horror movie that, that then he came up with the idea for and Victor Miller created this story for and or you know together arguably I'm not going to be the judge of that but uh, then I was called the following summer on the phone I just happened to be at home in Westport, Connecticut minding my own business and thinking oh wow that was a great summer job I had last year and I'll be in a movie that was a lot of fun wondering if it would ever come out. And here's Sean on the phone. Ari, we've got a new movie. We need you to come we need you to come down to the studio right now. And I'm like, okay, okay, sure, Sean, you know. Like, okay, and he goes, but it's a horror movie. I said, Wow, okay. I'm gonna come down. So he goes, Wait, wait, wait. Can you swim? I said, Yes, I can swim, Sean. And he's like, Okay, fine. You have the part. <laughs> I get down to the studio, they hand me a script, and you know, little actors, they like to look at, see how many lines they had. I had 80 lines in the other movie. Now, here's the thing, they had handed me the wrong script. So I saw that they handed, they handed me the script, of, just, just, it was like the star of the movie. You know, it was, it was, it says, you know, the, the counselor goes into the woods with his girlfriend, and she talks about a dream, and I said, whoa, you know, this is amazing. I'm going to get to do this. And then Sean saw the look in my eye, and he goes, wait a second. And he grabbed the script. He said, that's Kevin Bacon's script. 
<laughs> no, no, you gave Arnie the wrong script. Here's your script. So I look at my script, and I'm going through it, and there's no lines. And I said, wait a minute. What's going on here? There's no lines. He goes, he sits me down. He's very good with young people. So I realized, okay, I wasn't going to be the sexy counselor guy, which was way too mature for me. I mean, I was this little boy, you know? <laughs> so that was kind of a relief. But uh, so I thought, wow, I really have to act. But so he says, he says, Art, you're going to be the monster. And I was like, whoa, okay, okay. You know, from that point on, I was, I was it. And then, of course, he said, okay, this is Tom Savini. He's going to be making the math. So Tom and Tasso and their whole gang who was doing special effects, they had actually set up a little studio in Weston, Connecticut, out in the woods. So it was just a blast. Uh, working on the, the, you know, molding for the mask and for the head and for the, the eyes and the teeth and everything. So, but uh, that part took about four months, and that was a lot of fun. And I was on the set itself for about three different days. And the rest, they say, is history. Well, yeah, I mean, <laughs> see, originally, I'm in this scene where, of course, Betsy Palmer, playing Pamela Voorhees brilliantly, says, he was my only son, today is his birthday. He wasn't a very good swimmer, you know? And I'm there going, kill her, mommy. You know, don't let her get away. And then you just see me down under the water, right? That was going to be the entire presence of Jason in cinematic history. That was going to be it. That's all that was in the original script. In other words, huh. it was kind of a reverse psycho where in Psycho, the, the antagonist uh, imagines he's hearing from his mother beyond the grave. In this case, it's the mother hearing from the child beyond the grave. That was the original idea. But then, again, in comes the studio and says, so we wrapped in August of 1979. They said, no, we need a different ending. This ending isn't playing well. The ending would have been you know, there's a fight on the beach, you know, and, and that's basically the end, you know. So they called me back in October of 1979. Now, here I was at home thinking, well, I've been in this movie where I'm a little kid who drowns. This is great. You know, I was <laughs> like, this, you know, I don't know where I'm going with that, you know. So I was focusing on my music, and they said, okay. We need you to come back. I said, what do you mean? How can I come back? They said, your character gets his revenge. And I was like, how can I get my revenge if my character is dead? <laughs> my character died in the lab. They said, no, no, no. Just come on down. And so they hand me the script, and it says, Alice's dream. Ooh. And they explained to me that Alice has this dream in which she sees little Jason come up out of the water and grab her, okay? Now, this also has a connection with another movie. But anyway, so there it is. And so when I, when I was told that, I was like, this is wonderful. I, was, I went back to the set and they created the more gruesome 
Jasons that had been under water for 11 months. So I was like, that's, that's amazing. But have you ever seen Dementia 13 through? I can't say that I have, although I have heard. Well, take a minute, and I favorite. suggest all your all your listeners because this is just a wonderful thing to do, especially if you're a Friday the Thirteenth. Because you can get Dementia Thirteen is on like uh, many many great collections. Like I have the um, oh my gosh, what is it? It's it's uh, Universal Collection. Oh gosh. Well, anyway, it's on a lot of collections, and it's um, an amazing, oh, here it is. It's on the Horror Classics Anniversary Edition, what is this, 50 movies. But anyway, all I'm saying is, it's Francis Ford Coppola's first movie. Right. And it's basically the same story as Friday the 13th. It's the story of a mother that every year on the day that her daughter drowned in the pond that's on her mansion's man, um, manor, you know, um, she has this commemorative ritual celebration, you know, yeah. um, each, each time on the, the day of, of it. And uh, there's a scene, it opens with two people in a boat on a lake. There's so many similarities. The lead character... It's very similar to Adrian. They use this motif of this sweater. There's a lot of different things. But it's like if you took the story of Dementia 13 and, you know, you kind of transplant it to a, a, a summer camp, it's very similar. So I, 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 I ask everybody to go out there and watch that because uh, Dementia 13, I mean, after all, it's called Dementia 13 and this movie's called Friday the 13th. Except that one came out, I don't know, almost 20 years earlier. Right. It's a black, it's a black and white movie by, by Francis Ford Coppola. Wow, interesting. I've heard of it, I've yeah. never had the chance to see it. But let's talk about the 40th anniversary. I know that due to COVID and things like that, a lot of planned celebrations have probably been postponed, canceled, or moved on. And I know that your tour of horror conventions and everything, I'm sure you would be capitalizing on 40 years of the, of the franchise. But you've got something really, really interesting coming up in August. What is this? It's put on by Camp Crystal Lake Tours, and it looks like you're going to be making oh, yeah. an appearance there. And we'll get into your band playing there in a moment. But uh, what yeah. what is this going on with uh, Camp Crystal, Crystal Lake? That's it at the Camp Nobi Bosco, which is in North Brunswick, New Jersey, really in Blairstown, New Jersey. And at the actual campsite, they've been doing tours now through for the past couple of years. Adrian King has been there. Tom Savini's been up there. Tasso Stavrakis has been up there. Um, so this year, for the 40th anniversary, they invited myself to be there and to appear um, and to be part of the tour. Now, as you said, of course, um, I was touring around with First Jason and the uh, quarantine kind of descended upon the country. And, uh, of course, I, I quarantined myself here in Chicago. Uh, and, but also, you know, in so many ways, we... We don't want those venues out there that have been such a great help to us throughout the years to suffer. And we're always looking for other ways to approach 
the performance situation because we're up on a stage where we can perform safely distanced from fans. Sure. In some cases, we'll be performing indoors. In some cases, we'll be performing outdoors, like uh, in a parking lot or in a drive-in movie theater. So we had already booked an event in Massachusetts at this VFW where we always play, and they had booked us prior to the quarantine. And as soon as they could open, they rebooked us. And that's the tank in Agawam, Massachusetts, which is a VFW with a big tank in front of it, uh -huh. where they do all kinds of wonderful uh, presentations. And so we love playing there. So that's August 22nd. And we also booked a show at a club called McBeery's in Bethpage, Long Island, that's in New York, with uh, our good buddy Demon Scar. That's on the 21st. So when Camp Crystal Lake Tour said to me, hey, we would like you to come in on the 14th to the 17th of August, and we want you to be a part of the tour. We were actually going to tour around, and I'm actually going to be staying in a cabin on the, in the camp itself. They're setting up a campsite, and there'll be campfire and all kinds of stuff. So I said, you know, I have the band with me, so they said, okay, we'll allow first Jason to film some of the video, perhaps for our song, Lord of the Lake, uh, which would be appropriate, right there by the lake, or as I then said, well, you know, it's August, so I'm willing, you know, if I'm allowed to wear sneakers, which is what I did during the movie, by the way, uh, to get in the lake and actually go in the lake so people could see, wow, there's Ari back in the lake. And <laughs> so we took it a step further, and some of the VIPs, see, they said, well, this is social distancing because Ari is going to be in the lake, and the fan will be in the canoe more than six feet away. So, of course, you know, this is a, a, a VIP experience um, par excellence, which uh, only a few people will be able to do for two reasons. One is um, because it's limited number of people who get to do that. But also they've limited the overall number of people, of course, that get to do the camp experience this year. Sure. And in as much as, yeah, it's always great to attend to as many fans as possible in the sense that, you know, in, 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 in the sheer profitability of that. But in my opinion, it's more fun for me and the fans if I get a little more time to actually talk to each fan about their experience with Friday the 13th and what it is they love about Friday the 13th. And um, to be able to actually do that in the actual location of this film is, uh, is something amazing. So who knows? Maybe uh, due to these limitations, we'll be able to have something more creative than if we just had, you know, I don't know, just such a long line of so many people. Do you know what I'm saying? Where we would have to limit the, uh, we would have a different type of limitation, one of where we would have to cut the time that we could spend with each person. So sure. I think this is, this is more, more, uh, more suitable and, and, and hopefully more agreeable to the fans, uh, ultimately. Mm -hmm. Although, of course, 
you have to have mutual respect for everybody and make sure that everybody stays really healthy. And, you know, I'm taking a lot of vitamin C nowadays and, uh, you know, trying to keep myself as, uh, as healthy as possible. And you look like you're in great shape when you're at convention, so we know you're taking <laughs> care you, of yourself. <laughs> but speaking of, speaking of first Jason, you were talking about maybe making an appearance at Crystal Lake and making an appearance at the Tank and all that. Um, your latest yeah. album, Lord of the Lake, has been out for a little bit of time, but you are just mm -hmm. recently put out a couple of new videos for this. What can you tell us about that? Yeah, we're really proud of these two new videos. We teamed up with uh, a production team here in Chicago that works on television uh, shows in Chicago. And that's Kevin Epperson and One Tier Productions, his old team. Uh, Jason Stratham is the director of photography. But they're they're uh, amazing team. And, okay, so... I gave him the Lord of the Lake album. Now, we recorded Lord of the Lake here at Uptown Recording in Chicago, again. And Uptown Recording is a standout. Um, now, there's a band called Nonpoint that probably a lot of your listeners have heard of. It's a new metal band that comes from Chicago. They've been out for a while, and they have a massive following. They record at Uptown Recording. As a matter of fact, last week we were there doing our, our new album, Interslational, which is our next offering, our fifth album, um, and that one is is and there was the guitar player from Nonpoint. He was there to help us with production, which was just beyond belief. And nice. also <laughs> put us on our on our toes, you know. <laughs> you know, we couldn't we couldn't suck in that situation. So so yes, but for Lord of the Lake, that was recorded at Uptown Recording by this genius. Rob Ruccia, who produced all of Nonpoint, and he produces a lot of recordings that are out there. He works with all kinds of bands. Another notable thing that happened to increase our visibility, Drew, is there's a, another band called Ice Nine Kills. Yes. And every horror fan out there should check out Ice Nine Kills, because Ice Nine Kills is so dedicated to horror... In fact, okay, they had a song called Thanks, Thank God It's Friday. So they asked me to contribute uh, vocals to their acoustic version of that song, which they put on an album. Now, this is a band that gets 18 to 20 million hits per song through on Spotify. Nice. They packed, uh, uh, where we were down at um, uh, House of Blues in Chicago, okay? The place is packed. I've never seen every single audience member sing every lyric, but bro, yeah, they do a Friday the 13th song. They also do a song about Freddy. They do a song about It. They do a song about Exorcist. They do a song about James on They do a song about Michael Myers. They do a song about John. <laughs> okay? I'm not kidding. Fantastic. And they have an inflatable Jaws guy come out. And, and Spencer Charnas is a genius, the lead singer. He wears half Freddy, half Jason Thompson. That's his signature. But he's a lot of your younger listeners will, will, will know that Ice Nine Kills. So that helped first Jason. So <clears throat> I think that that propelled us into getting a little more serious. So we said, Kevin, let's do something. You know, quite frankly, I have been producing this, these videos prior to this. 
and they were a little bit silly. It was like, Jason gets attacked by his army of zombies and kills them all, or something. It sounds great, and, and, you know, until, you know. <laughs> so, <laughs> I said, you know what, and this is good advice to everybody. You always got to make the most of your resources, but that might mean turning to somebody who knows what they're doing. You know, if somebody spends their life lighting and, and shooting, trust them and learn from them. You know, just because we watch movies doesn't mean we can make them, or should. <laughs> but so Kevin, Kevin came up with these great ideas. The first video was about a little kid who sees his mom getting beaten up and, and everything, you know, in the streets. And says, it's okay. And, and that's, that's called Kill for Mother. So then he, he it, they're very similar in a way, but this kid is empowered by finding a golden Jason mask. Huh. Okay, and 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 but also there's a scene where first Jason is playing and all the all the audience members are wearing Jason masks. So it's just, it's a fun one. Okay, but of course he's um, he's triumphant in the end. And so again, in a similar fashion, he did one called Voorhees is the name, and we had the help of um, the Davis Theater. So in this in this one, a young man is being bullied at school. He's a little bit older now, okay? And this young man is able to face down his bullies in essence by um, by imagining himself as Jason, uh, which is depicted brilliantly in, in, in there. So, you know, it's kind of a different take. It's kind of like, you know, Kevin wanted to show some, like, empowerment, you know, some, like, even though, of course, it's controversial about horror, but how it does help kids and in some ways can help kids, you know, the horror kids are able to thrive because they can get through the horror of a horror movie, but also it takes them out of some of, uh, of life's mundane kind of systematic uh, uh, reality and, and, and kind of helps them to imagine themselves in, in, in an even better, more powerful way. And we hope, you know, we hope that. You know, Bill Mosley once said to me, uh, when we were facing the terrorism and all the terrible things were happening in, in the public places. And he said, but you know, Ari, if you look, the people there, and I agree with him, the people, are, it's never a horror fan, it's never, it's, it's always so, a fanatic from a different, you know, kind of sect who might even put down horror, you know, in those, in those ways. So he said, we, we give people, we afford people a space in which to vent some of those more violent emotions in a safe way, let's hope. I mean, you know, I'm hoping that. But uh, in any which way, we definitely had a lot of fun making the videos, and they've gotten a lot of attention. And I, I, I urge everybody, you could just jump over to YouTube and just put in the uh, First Jason channel, or even easier, just put in firstjason.com. Both of those videos are right there, boom. Very nice. Well, looks like we're going to have to start winding this down time-wise, though. Um, does, does First Jason have tour dates planned? I mean, I know the oh, pandemic yeah, and stuff. Do. Where can people get yeah. more information about uh, First Jason it's touring? It's all there at the calendar on, at firstjason.com. Yeah, okay. the calendar. Uh, you can always join First Jason Official on Facebook, First Jason 13 on Instagram. Just uh, check us out. And, yeah, we just put up the, the calendar for the, International tour, which yes, we're going to be going through 
We're going eastward in August. Uh, in September, we're going up to Canada. In October, we're going down to Texas. Um, but also in the middle of October, we're going to be uh, honored to be playing in Manchester, England at the For the Love of Horror Fest. And then we'll also be in Niagara Falls, Canada. So we're, we're and that's a great event called Frightmare in the Falls. So, you know, um, and in all of those events, they are having first Jason perform once or even twice, like at the Frightmare in the Falls. Excellent. Well, I hate that we missed you at the Carolina Fear Fest this spring, but obviously for reasons that uh, you could not appear and the show was canceled, but I'm sure that they will book you We're again for next year. They will book you again. So uh, I'll, I'll put some calls in for that one because <laughs> that, oh, that's yeah. a fun yeah. show. And uh, Anyway, Ari, it has been an absolute pleasure to speak with you again. We're going to have to get you back on the show to speak more in-depth about this. Remember, folks, 40 years of Friday the 13th, Ari Lehman, the first right. Jason. And, catch- and thanks, to, thanks to the fans, Jason never dies. And thank you so much, Drew Badger. I appreciate you. It's always a pleasure to have you on the show, my friend. It's great to talk to you here. Once again, folks, firstjason.com. Find them on all the social medias. Check out the new videos. See if you can catch them on a tour near you. And once again, folks, Ari Lehman, a pleasure to have you here. We will get you back on the show a little bit later down the road. Hey, tell them, mention this show, and you're going to get some free buttons. Oh. Free buttons. You mentioned the show, okay? Oh, very nice. Remember that, folks. <laughs> Mention the big scary show and get some free swag courtesy of Ari Lehman. Ari, again, it's a pleasure to talk to you, sir. Thank you. First Jason, Jason never dies on the big scary show.
women have just seen their doctor. Dr. Death. He stalks the city through the dark of night. I think somebody's coming toward my apartment. He has powers more terrible than any man who ever lived. <coughs> Don't answer your doorbell. What do you want? It may be Dr. Death making a house call. Rated R, restricted. Under 17, not admitted without parent. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, it is time for Deadline News here on The Big Scary Show with your host, me, Drew Badger, bringing you all the latest in the haunted house, Halloween, and horror industries. Hey folks, it's Deadline News episode 216. My name is Drew Badger, and we're going to start off with some sad news from one of our own. This comes to us via Chris Stafford of the 13th Floor. Ricky Dominguez, a lifelong Halloween fan and haunter, has passed away this past week at the all-too-young age of 44 after losing his battle with cancer. He worked with 13th Floor starting at the very first 13th Floor attraction, the Asylum in Denver, Colorado, in 2002. He held many positions with 13th Floor over the years, most recently as the front of house manager at City of the Dead and the Asylum in Denver. Ricky was a big time sports fan and loved his Denver Broncos. Ricky is survived by his wife Yolanda and his sons Demetrius and Dante. Many of you probably have met Ricky at Transworld as he attended for many, many years. Always positive and happy, he will be greatly missed by the 13th floor and the entire haunt community. The Big Scary Show sends its deepest condolences to the friends and family of Ricky Dominguez and offers up this moment of silence. On a lighter note, we have this update from our Big Scary News title sponsor, Froggy's Fog, and this comes via super special correspondent, Tater. Okay, y'all, we've done it. Due to demand, we are moving forward with scented hand sanitizer. For only $3 extra, you can get cotton candy, haunted house, and gothic. This can only be done if you call me, Scott Tater Lind, at 877-376-4499, extension 85, or email scott at froggiesfog.com. Let's show my bosses I do have a couple of good ideas by you ordering a ton of this scented hand sanitizer. Once again, that's scott at froggiesfog.com for more info. We have this news from the Haunted Hills Farm Trail and Hayride in Jasper, Georgia. Have you ever wondered what it would be like to work at a haunted attraction? Well, here's your chance. On August 22nd, beginning at 7 p.m., we'll be hiring 20 to 30 new staff members this season. Come join our team and find out that once you give it a shot, you'll be hooked for life. There's nothing else like it. We're looking for energetic energetic Halloween enthusiasts. You must have a love and a passion for this sort of thing. Must be dependable, have reliable transportation, and must be able to work weekend nights in September and October 
and most of all, you must be a team player. Once you join our team, you become a part of our close-knit haunt family. We look out for each other, keep in touch all year long, and look forward to haunt season all year. No previous experience necessary. The only thing you need to have is a passion for Halloween. Halloween is a short season. We're only scheduled to be open 14 nights this year, and this is not a job for the money, although you will get paid. This is a job suited to those that do it for the excitement, joy, and love of Halloween. If this sounds like you, we'd love to meet you. Get more information at their Facebook page, facebook.com slash Haunted Hills Farm Trail and Hayride. We have this news from the Guthrie Haunts in Guthrie, Oklahoma. Sign-ups for the 2020 Guthrie Haunts season is here. Join us on August 8th or 29th to sign up. The minimum age is 13 years old, and anyone under 18 must have a parent present to sign up. Send us a message if you're interested in joining us for a night or the entire season. We're opening September 11th. We have lots of medical scenes and toxic waste scenes that require you to wear a safety mask. Get more information at GuthrieScareGrounds.com. We have this from the Demon House Haunted Attraction in Monongalila, Pennsylvania. Yes, we are planning to open for the 2020 scare season. Check out our response to COVID-19 on our website for some of our provisions. Demonhouse.com We're more than just a quick walkthrough. We are the haunted experience of a lifetime. Our opening day is Friday, September 4th. Get more information at demonhouse.com We have a little sad news from Disney and Universal theme parks. This came to us via the OCRegister.com. Both Disneyland and Universal Studios Hollywood have been forced to cancel their lucrative seasonal events that bring hordes of haunt-happy fans to the Southern California theme parks. The Oogie Boogie Bash separate admission event at Disney California Adventure will not return this Halloween season as Disney awaits theme park guidelines that have yet to be released by the state according to Disneyland officials. Universal Studios has canceled both Halloween Horror Nights at both its California and Florida theme parks for this year. Both Disneyland and Universal plan to bring back their Halloween events in 2021. Knott's Berry Farm has not yet announced whether Halloween Haunt will happen this year. You can keep up with more updates at ocregister.com and the various Disney blogs out there, I'm sure. And finally, we have this news from the Motor City Haunt Club in Detroit, Michigan. We regret to inform you that the Motor City Haunt Club has made the tough decision to cancel the 2020 Haunted Garage Sale. Back in February, as we became aware of the COVID-19 situation, we thought for sure by September it would all be back to normal with no worries. With that thought in the back of our minds, we continued to make the preparations and we're getting everything ready to go. With every day that passed, that perspective faded further and further and finally mutated into what steps would be necessary to keep people safe. The facility where we plan to have the event is still currently closed, and we've only recently been able to communicate with them on this situation. They could still not tell us if they would be open on the date of our event of September 26th. 
It's likely this won't completely be in our rearview mirror next year, and I'm sure we'll have to make special arrangements even then. We have already begun to prepare by booking the same venue for Saturday, September 25th, 2021, and we'll continue to prepare for next year. We're looking forward to a better 2021, aren't we all? Get more information at the Motor City Haunt Club's Facebook page. Remember, folks, if you have news in the haunted house, Halloween, or horror industries, and you want it on the show, email it to us, news at bigscaryshow.com, and we'll get it on the show. No news is too big or too small. This concludes this edition of the Big Scary Show's Deadline News. <laughs> Want to take your haunt to a new dimension of terror? Then let Dark Imaginings conjure up some ghoulish graphics and web design services for your home, haunt, or crypt. To see more of our products and services, drop by darkimaginings.com. Let us help you get ahead of your competition. <laughs> Broadcasting to you from the darkest reaches of the earth, this is a hot minute. And now, with this week's commentary, Storm. Alright, good news. I found the windscreen for my uh, digital recorder, so less popping this week. Yay! No, I want to talk to you guys about the idea that we may need to update some of the classic horror haunt and Halloween icons we have out there. You know, times are changing. Some of these icons we have out there are hundreds of years old. You know, we, we just gotta make a few little changes and details here. You know, first of all, you know, vampires. I mean, we, we've updated and changed them a little bit. You know, it's it's gone from some cursed, you know, uh, fiefdom lord to, you know, viruses and that type of thing. But even then, I think we might have to do a little bit more tweaking. Things that are more scary. Things that only come out at night and seem to, you know, drain your blood. For most parents, that'd be a teenager. Or, you know, possibly for the rest of us, you know, if you're wandering around, anyone you see at any store at 2 o'clock in the afternoon, those people will drain the life out of you. I mean, yeah, the daylight's out there, but, you know, it's the walking undead going around and um you know let's just throw in hipsters in there too because i i don't trust them they, they, they're they're one of those things hey look normal and they, oh look now they're sucking the life out of you with their hipster ways and thick sunglasses and strange beards speaking of beards the biggest character that i think we need to update and that is werewolves we're not afraid of werewolves anymore no everyone enjoys and has awesome dogs and stuff, and no one sees wolves, you know, near extinction levels in most areas and stuff. I mean, you're not going to be that big into them. And, um, yeah, we're not afraid of gypsies or curses anymore. We all have a gypsy curse. It's called the Kardashians. Uh, it's gypsies. 
you know, scary for the wrong reasons. No, we need to actually just replace werewolves with Bigfoot. Yes, Bigfoot. For some reason, he's become carnivorous and aggressive over the past few years, and there's shows everywhere looking for him, you know. And if you would believe them, he peers into windows, throws rocks at your heads, bangs in the forest trying to keep you up when you're camping. Yes, I think Bigfoot should be replacing the concept of a werewolf. And hey, let's try out something else for your haunt. Um, I would say Frankenstein. Oh yes, no, Frankenstein. He's one of the oldest icons out there. But, you know, we don't have mad scientists going around doing any of that stuff. No, we have mad plastic surgeons going around and doing that stuff. Yep, injecting stem cells wherever they can. Hey, how about some botulism? Botulism, you want to smile better? We got botulism for you. That's right, we're going plastic surgery you until you're something we cannot recognize and we're going to roll you out there, maybe in front of cameras and... Celebrity shows to really scare people. Oh, look, your face has been stretched all the way to the back, and you look like some sort of alien Barbie doll. Huzzah! Yes. Replace Dr. Frankenstein and the monster with some sort of plastic surgeon and, you know, his subject. I think these are things which will bring your haunt and your concepts into the 21st century and beyond. It can really get us there. Hey, um... Why don't you tell me what icons you think should be updated for, you know, the new century and uh, currently how things are going. I'd love to hear that and see it on the Big Scary Show Facebook page. But until next time, keep every minute scary. Tune in next episode for another Haunt Minute. And in the meantime, share your opinions on the Big Scary Show Facebook page and on Twitter at Big Scary Store. Hey, this is Josh Gates from Sci-Fi's Destination Truth encouraging you to check out hauntminute.com. Ohio Haunted House owners, actors and enthusiasts, Join the new Ohio Haunters Association. We are working with haunters across the state, from home to pro, to strengthen the Ohio haunt community. Open to all owners, actors, makeup artists, prop builders, designers, and Halloween paranormal enthusiasts. The Ohio Haunters Association, where haunting is the heart of it all. Look for us on Facebook. And ladies and gentlemen, it is time for the gruesome giveaway for the month of August. Sponsored by our very good friends at ScreamlineStudios.com. Please go to ScreamlineStudios.com. Check out their wide array of really cool things. You might win something right now if you listen carefully to the show. I'm going to ask you a question. The answer is in this show, this very show. And if you think you know that answer, send it to us with your name and your phone number to contest at BigScaryShow.com before midnight on August the 10th. That being said, the question for the gruesome giveaway for the month of August is... One of our guests on the Round Table of Terror has a character named Winnie Pegg. Winnie Pegg has a beaver. What is is the beaver's name. And here's a hint. Listen carefully coming out of the break during the roundtable. 
If you think you know the answer, email it to us, contest at bigscaryshow.com, along with your name and phone number before Monday, August 10th at midnight. And you could be randomly selected to be the August Gruesome Giveaway winner. Once again, thank you to StreamlineStudios.com for providing us all these great prizes. Remember again, folks, previous winners and family members of The Big Scary Show are not eligible to win. Good luck. Ladies and gentlemen, that music does signify once again we are on the air with the Round Table of Terror here on The Big Scary Show. And as we sit here in our homes and caves and tombs and crypts just riding out the COVID, you know, we are now starting to think long and hard about haunt season. A lot of haunts are saying they're not open, but a lot of haunts are saying they are and now that we have entered August, we are basically at haunt season eve because a lot of haunts will be opening in September. And then we start thinking about all the different types of haunts out there. The home haunts, the professional haunts, all the ones in between, the yard displays. And one haunt type in particular that we especially love to hear about are the charity haunts. You know, sometimes haunts get a bad reputation for being evil and devil worshipping and eating babies and stuff like that. Well, that's only partly true sometimes. But a lot of haunts out there do a lot of good for the community. They raise money and they raise donations for various charitable events and various causes and things like that. And we thought we'd talk a little bit about that with some of the wonderful people out there who take the time and the effort to make their haunt a charity haunt. So we put the call out and we got some responses and we have several guests with us today. And we are talking to them about their charitable haunts. I want to take a quick uh, moment to recognize these guests. First of all, in Waverly, Ohio, we have Alan Shell, who has been on the show before with his haunt, Backwoods Oddities, which has been around for around 10 years now. They're a great little haunt. They do an awful lot of good for the community. Alan, welcome to the show. It's good to be here. I'm glad to always talk with you guys. Uh, great to have you back on the show here. Down in Palm Harbor, Florida, we've got Andrew Long, who has his home haunt, which is a charity haunt called Haunt for Hep. We'll find out what Hep is in just a few minutes, but Andrew, welcome to the show. Hello, hello. Thanks for having me. Glad to have you here, down in the land of sunshine and COVID, apparently. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> and about as far west as you can get from Florida without being in Asia, we've got Chandra Heward from Ladysmith, British Columbia. One of How's our it going? Canadian neighbors with Heward's Haunted House. Been around about 10 years, been raising money for a very good cause there. Great to have you there, Chandra. How are you? Oh, I'm, I'm glad to be here. Call me Sean. It's a lot easier. <laughs> Sean, it is then. Also want to recognize our hosts who are with us today, including up in Rhode Island, we have Storm. Greetings from Rhode Island, where it's slightly less hot than everywhere else. <laughs> Down in Cincinnati, Ohio, we have Meat Hook Jim. Uh, not much 
hotter than Rhode Island right now, but still running there. Uh, and I just got to say, Alan, you guys are the bomb. Thank you. Up in Columbus, Ohio, we have the Haunster Mentalist, Jerry Vane. Yep, that'd be me. I'd be here. <laughs> My name is Drew Badger down in Charlotte, North Carolina. It is hot. It is miserable. So it is a perfect time to talk about the fall and haunt season. And lady and gentlemen, welcome to the show. Want to throw out the first question here. Uh, first of all, we want to hear all about your haunt and the charitable impacts that you have on the community. And let's start with Andrew down in Palm Harbor, Florida. Tell us about Haunt for HEP, what HEP is, and how you guys raise funds for that particular charity. Yeah, so we've been doing our haunt, our home haunt, for, uh, we're going on six years. Um, but we started two years ago, um, decided to raise money for the Homeless Empowerment Program, HEP. Uh, they have a campus down in Clearwater. Um, and their motto is helping people, helping people help themselves. Uh, it's right under their name on their website, and it's the first thing that comes up when you look up the Homeless Empowerment Program. Uh, and since 1986, their mission has been to provide homeless and low-income families and individuals, including veterans, with housing, food, clothing, and support services necessary to obtain self-sufficiency and ultimately, ultimately improve their quality of life. So we thought hey, this is a charity that we agree with. Um, we've actually worked with them before in the past when I was younger. I volunteered in their soup kitchen. Um, so we already knew about them, and we thought it would be a great idea to uh, put a name to our haunt and donate to the Homeless Empowerment Program. That sounds excellent. You don't sound like you're very old. How old are you, if I may ask? I am 18. So okay. I started so this five years ago Yeah, when I was around 13 years old. Wow. Jeez, yeah, now I fun. feel old. <laughs> <laughs> well, there is a reason for that, too. But, um, uh, Chandra, tell us about uh, Heward's Haunted House and, and who you help up in Ladysmith, British Columbia. Well, um, we do a home haunt. So it started out just simply having fun. Uh, my husband and I were love Halloween, and we did a little tiny walkthrough. Uh, because we did so much work, people started throwing money at us, uh, literally throwing money at us. And we decided that uh, because we're doing it for fun, we wanted to help our community. Not a lot is in our area, so we decided to help like little programs, haunted houses, stuff like that. So we wanted to help the youth groups, um, charities in the area. So every year we do uh, a major donation to the youth bowlers in the area because that is one sport that anybody any age can do and it doesn't discriminate whether you're male female physicality um, so we wanted to encourage the kids to keep up with that uh, we help uh, this last year we did the two food banks in the area one in Ladysmith one in Nanaimo we also helped with the uh, grade 12 proms this year even though that kind of got a little sidetracked with uh, what's been happening in the world and uh, we just we enjoy helping out our communities. We also helped out the Vancouver Island hockey team because they don't get a lot of subsidies as well, so it, it helps with their road trips and things like that. And with a lot of those um, teenagers, young adults, being from away from home, it helps them out so that they don't have to pay as high a fee as well. So, yeah, we're just, uh, we have a lot of fun with it, and 
we just keep it as a charity haunt so that uh, people can, uh, anybody can come in and it doesn't matter if they have money or not, they can come through and enjoy it. And then if they like it, they pass on the information to everybody else. Very, very nice. Alan, how about you? Well, my name's Alan. We've got Backwoods Oddities, the last Carnival Haunted House in Waverly, Ohio. We raise money primarily for Southern Ohio Survivors, which is a cancer foundation. They help uh, patients that are receiving chemo with things they need as far as things to stay comfortable, gas cards for transportation to and from treatment. Uh, they help all the way through from counseling to legal issues, anything you can imagine when you're going through something so horrible. We've also uh, helped the Huntington Huntsman Archery Team. Uh, they are a local school archery team, but they're not through the school, so they need finances to get to and from tournaments, to get tournament entry fees, uh, things along those lines. We've helped uh, two local food banks. Uh, we've also donated to... Uh, the homeless veterans of uh, Pike County, Ohio, and I think this year we may go back to helping with Lost Acres Horse Rescue and Rehabilitation. They need money uh, in, to help feed the horses, things along those lines. Um, every year we, we grow a little bigger and uh, help a little bit more. If I can interject at this point, I must say, for, for those of you that are listening, if you ever get the opportunity to go to Backwoods Oddities, please do so. I have known Alan for 10 years. I have helped Alan. I have watched him grow. And it's just an amazing haunt. And all of his people, they, they do this out of the goodness of their hearts. They are all volunteers. They help him build. They, they haunt and oh my gosh, you know, what can I say about Mopsy? She scared me. <laughs> you know, she she succeeded where a lot of people have failed. You'll see actors in Alan's Haunt that will surpass actors I've seen in plenty of pro haunts. And this is all on a volunteer basis. They do an amazing show and contributing to great causes. Please try to get out and check them out. Yeah, every night, depending on uh, attendance of our actors, we run between 25 and 40 actors, all volunteer. Uh, we even get the archery team out there volunteering and acting uh, to, to help raise money for their cause. It's, uh, it's a lot of fun. I also forgot we, we've helped with the Humane Society last year. Um, we've raised quite a bit of money for a lot of different uh community charities we try to help our community as much as possible excellent and um when the archery team is there please tell me they threaten people to shoot them with bows and arrows and things like that to keep them moving down the trail or something actually it's a bunch of teenage boys so they prefer the chainsaws okay <laughs> chainsaws are always great and there are plenty <laughs> of those <laughs> quite a few Excellent. Um, to the guests here, um, what made you decide what particular charities you decided to help? Was it just, you know, they were local or, you know, somebody came to you and asked you for help first? Uh, 
what made you guys decide to pick who you decided to help? I'll start. We chose Southern Ohio Survivors uh, because one of our actors, his uh, wife, was going through some issues with lung cancer, and uh, we wanted to help the people that were helping her. And so we found out Southern Ohio Survivors Cancer Foundation was helping her, and we wanted to help them be able to help more people. So that's how we chose them. Okay. And a lot of times it is something that happens to one of your actors, managers, owners, or otherwise. How about you, Andrew? How did you uh, decide that this was the chapter? Was it the fact that you had worked there before? Yeah, part of it was I had worked there before um, and helped out in the kitchen. We always uh, would donate some stuff for Thanksgiving. Our church um, donates things to the Homeless Empowerment Program. So it was kind of that connection um, and knowing what they do and we obviously support that so we wanted to have that a part of our haunt so part of it was stuff we done in the past part of it was what we knew about them so all right Chandra, you or sean will you uh <laughs> you've donated to an awful lot of different people what makes you decide or do you have a list of people that you choose from every year well for the uh the youth bowlers um both my son and my daughter went through the programs so we wanted to help support the program for other children. Both my children are now um, out of the program, so we're still continuing on there. Uh, with the food group or food banks, they're always needing donations. They they never have enough to uh, fill the need of the of the local communities. So when we donate, whatever we give them, they can actually buy four times more than what we could buy. So if we give them a thousand dollars. They, they end up buying $4,000 worth of food. So we know that uh, families who are in need will be able to eat. When it comes to the hockey foundation or the hockey group, they came to me actually. So, And uh, they offered to help uh, give me actors so that uh, we would definitely have a good show every night. So they actually helped build last year and uh, they were sending me five people every night to the, the haunt to actually scare the crap out of people. So we, we like it when they're enthusiastic like that. And uh, everybody knows Canada's love with hockey, so that doesn't surprise me one bit. No, and, uh, and plus my teenage daughter likes the fact that these uh, hockey boys were around, so that helped. We won't get into that. <laughs> but um, any questions from the host at this point? Well, yeah, I actually do. You know, you guys got uh, some neat stories about why you're doing it for these charities, how these charities are an important part of the community. How do you help express that? How do you help promote that? Because I see so many home haunts, oh, I'm collecting canned goods for this, and you never really get that feel for it. Do, do you do something extra to try and, and tell that story that you've just told us of the charities and why it's something special to you? And uh, I don't know, if Andrew, if you want to go first on that one. Yeah, um, we obviously have uh, signs all over the haunt telling the, you know, the background of Homeless Empowerment Program, what they do. Uh, we've had the Homeless Empowerment Program, some of the volunteers there, uh, some of the workers come out on some of the nights to uh, talk with people. Obviously, um, when it comes to news coverage, we've had them come out and help explain with us. Uh, so it, it's definitely that you know, having them with us 
uh, it, it helps share the word, spread the word. Oh, that's awesome. And that's, that, that's such a key thing that a lot of, um, you know, in professional haunts will forget about the days that they will do a charity night or charities are involved is to, you know, when you're doing your media coverage, have them out there and, and talk to it too. Alan, what about you? How do you help tell the story of the charities that you're helping? Well, Southern Iowa Survivors puts together care packages, uh, baskets that they give to uh, active chemo patients with things that they need, like uh, hard candies and uh, uh, slippers, gloves, things that you know most people wouldn't think of. So what we do to help promote that and to bring that awareness to people is we will do VIP tickets or fast pass tickets for people that actually make donations of things they need to build these baskets. If you bring a bag of Jolly Ranchers, we give you VIP. If you bring, uh, you know, uh, mittens or uh, Kleenexes, this year most likely hand sanitizer is going to be on that list. Uh, things like that that people are going to need uh, when they make a, a physical donation, so that they really understand that they're helping somebody that's fighting cancer and going through chemo it, it really brings the, the the point to light that you know we're, we're helping real people not just collecting money that's pretty cool that's also very visual too you see people you know if you're standing in line and you know it's an hour line then you see somebody bring something and it goes over to a corner somebody accepts it and getting vip they're asking questions about that which helps both uh you know the haunt and the charity there about that sandra what about you how do you how do you tell the story of the charities that you help well a lot of my actors are parts of these organizations that we give to so if they're out in the queue line they're telling people about what we're doing this for and why um with our facebook page we have announced it from time to time exactly why like uh, for the kids, again, the the bowling, it's because of the fact that it's the only sport that anybody any age can do. Um, with the fact that the bowlers are there, we, uh, some of them actually help every year uh, without fail. They're out there talking to people. Um, everybody knows they're in there wanting to raise money for their groups. So a lot of my actors also um, have real-life jobs. So, of course, they're telling everybody so it's a lot of word of mouth and it's not one of these things of we're just doing this for lip service no we actually are there we're, we're taking photos of the kids we're um, taking photos when we're actually doing the donations so that people know that we're actually giving this to the don uh, to the charities that we're choosing a lot of people think that uh, charity haunts only do a little bit but they in our community they know that everything we bring in goes out so I do want to remind everybody, you are listening to the Roundtable of Terror here on the Big Scary Show. We are talking charity haunts with Sean Heward of British Columbia, Andrew Long from Palm Harbor, Florida, Alan Shell from Waverly, Ohio, our usual co-host. We're going to take a very short break here, and we will be right back. In 1897, Dr. Alexander Hammond arrived at an institution for the criminally insane only to discover the unsolved murders of several guards. Drivers, where are we? Jerry Vane takes you into Black Moon Asylum, a twisted abyss of torment, madness, and the horrifying mystery of Patient 292. Time for your medication. Black 
Moon Asylum, a symphonic journey into darkness from instrumentalist Jerry Vane. Download Black Moon Asylum at jerryvane.com, iTunes, cdbaby.com, Amazon MP3, and your favorite download site. Welcome back to the Roundtable of Terror, folks. We are talking charity haunts with Sean Heward of Heward's Haunted House in Ladysmith, British Columbia, Canada, eh? Alan Shell of Backwoods Oddities in Waverly, Ohio. Andrew Long in Palm Harbor, Florida. All the usual ghosts, and we're just having a nice conversation here. And during the break, um, we, we have to talk about this. Um, I saw Chandra at... Um, HauntCon in New Orleans this year, as we have seen her at, at West Coast and a couple of other conventions, and the topic of Chandra's beaver came up. So for the yeah. sake of the other folks, and remember, we do have young younger children on the show here today, uh, tell us the story about the beaver. Well, I have to give you a backstory about how my character came about. Uh, when I was down in New Orleans, I was Winnie Pegg. She's a Canadian hillbilly. And I was uh, going down with uh, a few people from the Northwest Haunters Association that uh, they do the old folks. And then there's Hillbilly Willie. So my character is Hillbilly Willie's cousin. So um, with Americans and Canadians, there's always a little bit of a difference. But nobody knows the difference. Well, I had to come up with a, a way that you could tell a difference between a Canadian and American. So I would show people my beaver. And uh, luckily, my costume had many layers of skirt. And under the first layer of my skirt, I hung a beautiful, cute little stuffed beaver. And so everybody wanted to look at my beaver would gladly look as I lifted up the, the first layer of my skirt and would burst out laughing every time they saw it. So yes, my beaver has been shown all over New, uh, New Orleans. It's been pet by many, including Mr. Drew. And... Yeah. Uh, Hey, everybody keeps awesome. wanting to, everybody wants to keep petting it for some reason. It's just that cute and adorable. So, <laughs> um, I believe I, if you go to my personal Facebook page, the picture of my beaver is there. Um, when we flew across uh, or down to New Orleans, we had uh, an interesting trip from hell. But Winnie Peg, uh, or Mini Winnie is what the beaver's called, was in a lot of pictures showing how the trip went. So, you can see the beaver there. Well, I know Drew never passes up an opportunity to pet a beaver, so. Hey, now. Hey, she did present me with an honorary hoser card, so I'm, I'm technically a Canadian hoser when I went to <laughs> West Coast a few years ago, so. Yes, uh, you did answer the questions. It took you a little while to get the right answer, but you did answer them, so. Well, as Not long yet. as I realized every question was about Rush, I was good. So. Now, Jim, remember, you're recording this. The attorney did ask for this for the restraining order. Please send it on. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, any questions from the uh, guests to the ghosts or the other guests about uh, how their haunts operate or anything like that? Crickets. crickets. Yeah, I have, well, I have a question. Um, do you all dress up for your haunts? How do you all participate in it? Or do you stay behind the scenes? Yeah. Oh, I'm, I'm fully involved in it. So is my husband. Um, with my character, uh, for the main, the last few years, I am the mistress of the haunt. And I am the one that gives the rules. And surprisingly, I've when I'm giving the rules, I've had people walk out because I'm too scary for them. I've had people um, soil themselves in my room because <laughs> I'm too scary for them. But 
if you can't be involved, it, you just don't have as much fun. Did the beaver scare them? <laughs> no, the beaver wasn't there. I think the beaver would calm their nerves more than anything because he's so cute. Okay. But no, um, my husband, his character's name is Bobo, and he tends to make people scream even in the queue line. So you got to get out there and have fun with it. Absolutely. You are a scary family. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for, for our haunt... Um, I have friends and my sister's friends who participate and um, are the scare actors. Uh, but me personally, I run around make sh making sure everything doesn't break. Um, and you'd be surprised because things tend to break when you need them the most. You probably have experience with that. Um, so I dress in all black uh, and try not to be as noticed as much. Very nice. How about I you? Have Go ahead. I have a handful of characters, depending on how staffing goes for the night. If I'm running the front door, I'm Erasmus, the owner of The Last Carnival. Uh, I do Zachariah, which is a stilt character of mine, a, a, a asylum patient, straight jacket, stilts about seven and a half feet tall. I run around and do Q-line. Uh, other nights, I play a clown character and run behind the scenes and fix things, but a clown character can go anywhere in the carnival. It all just depends on who shows up for the night, what I do. Now, do you gentlemen use uh, communications at all with um, within your haunt, so like the front door knows what's happening at the back? Anything like that? Very I do fair not. Very fair question. For years, I would not because I didn't want the radios to interfere with scenes. And over the last three years, we've picked up radios. We started with just three radios, one in the front, one in the back, and one for whoever's running. And this year, we just bought 20 radios. We want everybody that can possibly have a radio to have a radio. Communications are important, especially on really busy nights or when we do our after-hours event and we can get people that can get a little out of control we need to be able to get a hold of security we need to be able to get a hold of other people so yeah we, we went with radios for sure i know in i know in my haunt we have three that we use but the fourth one as a, a an extra radio in case one goes down i have an earpiece in the person on the door has an earpiece and there's somebody that is at the back middle because our our end of our haunt and our beginning of our haunt are at the same end of the building so um, we're able to communicate through the entire haunt from just those three spots, but it also helps us, um, the, the doorman will say names so that halfway through the haunt, those people in the middle of the haunt will say the names of those people, just to add a little bit of creepiness to it. Oh, that's so. always fun. Oh, yeah, and they'll, they'll freak out, how do you know my name, things like that. We're also able, if we're having issues in the haunt, which, thank God, we haven't had, um, we can get people like our queue uh, line workers and some of our bigger bodied members to a spot really quickly if we have to, because of the placement of the of the speed of the walkies. No. Yeah. I've... Yeah. For go ahead. You no, know, please go ahead. Okay. Uh, for my haunt, we don't necessarily have a maze that you walk through, so it's it's not a problem of uh, really seeing around the haunt because it's laid out in our front yard. Um, in our garage and on our front porch. 
So we don't use uh, walkie-talkies or any communications. We can kind of go around and, and see around the entire haunt. But I, I could see how that'd be helpful, um, especially for we use pneumatics um, and a lot of our props. So if something goes wrong, it, one of the uh, air hoses blow out of the auxiliary tanks or or w- whatever goes wrong with the pneumatics because everything always goes wrong, um, that would be helpful for... Um, you know, fixing that quickly. It's pretty neat because you each describe um, three of the different aspects that, uh, you know, a lot of haunts in any type of size use for communication, which is really cool. You know, that having a closed circuit radio thing, uh, it's just something that's necessary for safety now. If, if you can't see across, you know, your haunt from line of vision, it's just something you have to have. Uh, the nonverbal things is really neat. I, the haunt I worked at for years, you know, it's a big trail, and the, uh, you know, the, the house director, the, the, the person would give you the rules and then would release the groups onto our trail. You know, one year we had some sort of car horn, air horn, uh, at a scene that she could hear that from. So it actually timed out that she would hear that and know to release a group. And if she didn't hear it, she knew there might be a problem or something, the whole groups, that type of thing. And we started incorporating that in with our design afterwards, uh, which was pretty neat. And then the other thing we did is just, you know, cell phones and everything. We made sure all our actors had their manager's cell phone number to text them uh, if they had an issue or, you know, something to remind them about or, you know, to be concerned of. And they'd even text back that, you know, oh, Greg's coming with, you know, three people wearing white hoodies, you know, so you could, you know, the whole haunt would know Greg. And that was a fairly large one. The trail was on 18 acres. So, you know, they'd be calling for Greg and he'd have no idea how these creatures in the forest did. But that that also great length leaves uh, me to a question you know as charity haunts and, and you know the different home and uh, professional haunt aspects that you do how do you come up with the scenes and 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 what themes that you go with is, is it something that you know you work with your charity is it something that personally you like is it something that's community driven and uh sandra let's go with you first to find out the up in the great north you know what why you pick your theming well the Last few years, we have been doing what's kind of cr- a cross between the Munsters and the Adams family. Uh, we did a backstory for our haunt so that we were we were mentioning how we're a group of misfits that people would drive us out of their town because whenever they were unsure of or afraid of something, they'd want to get rid of it, which actually happened to our haunt once. So <laughs> we got uh, moved from our our location because uh, people didn't one person didn't like it. So. Um, with our manor house itself, I look at it as what is normally in a house. You have your basic rooms, and then you can add in a little extra thing, like most, um, like the Adams family has a secret passageway, so we had to put one of those in there. Uh, of course, you have to have spiders in there somewhere, so we would have a hallway that would take you out to somewhere else that was just loaded with spider webs and giant spiders. So I like my haunt to be a full flow. It makes sense to go through, and it just because it made sense to people, it made it more real to them. So they immersed themselves more into it. And and decking out the rooms, the more little details that you put in there, even though they can't see them full on, they can they can glimpse them, and it adds even more depth to the real realism. It makes them more into the the illusion 
that they could be in danger. Oh, awesome. So. Always, always fun to be immersive with that. Neat. Oh, yeah. Um, Andrew, with, you know, being restricted with just a small amount of room, how does that affect your theming and, and what you come up with and, and your passion for Halloween and haunting to go into your theme? Yeah, so I'm going to start back, you know, about six years ago. Um, I had always loved cemeteries. This, that sounds weird. I have always loved haunt cemeteries for Halloween. Um, my neighbors used to, <laughs> my neighbors used to, uh, you know, those styrofoam cemetery uh, gravestones that you get at the Dollar Tree. They'd always have that, and I was, I'd always be jealous of them because I'd, I'd wanted to have the best haunt in the neighborhood. Um, and then it wasn't until I saw uh, Mansion of the Macabre, uh, which is in Palm Harbor, uh, run by Dr. Drea. He stopped doing it a few years ago, um, but he had a very large home haunt, uh, also for charity, for hospice, um, that he'd been doing for over 20 years. Um, and he sold all this stuff a few years ago. But I have always um, loved the cemetery, crypt, undead, um, supernatural type of theme uh, and I've worked that together uh, we have a very the whole um, yard is enclosed in a big old cemetery we have mausoleums um, crypts uh, we even have some uh, zombie breakout areas uh, and of course tombstones and everything else um, and one of the uh, haunted houses at uh, Halloween Horror Nights um, rest in peace for this year uh, but one of the houses at Halloween Horror Nights last year uh, kind of had a similar theme, and I and I remember enjoying that the most uh, because I I'm doing architecture when I go to school, and I enjoy um, the designing aspect, and a lot of it is um, designing the columns, the the mausoleum, the different facades, and uh, it definitely goes along with the the gothic type architecture, and I and I really enjoy that. So that's part of the reason why, um, that's the theme I go with. Andrew, I've got to say that you'd be a little bit jealous of me because um, <laughs> Drew and Jerry both know this, but right across the street from my house is a big cemetery in my city. Um, we've got the the gothic mausoleums we've got tombstones going back to the early 1800s very cool and it's right across the street from me i can walk in there anytime now please take take a trip up the new england sometime i literally Mm -hmm. have a cemetery about a hundred feet away from my house where the uh, first governor of rhode island is uh, buried i'm (laughs) sure he you know rattles my pots in the evenings and you know the architecture and stuff i i I love that story too because you know so much with haunting and you know so many of us get, get into haunting and it's our experience that shapes haunting but what's really neat about your story andrew is your haunting experience is shaping your future oh i've liked doing these aspects of haunting now i'm getting into architecture and design that is freaking awesome uh with that aspect and and how haunting can affect your life it's it's so usually the opposite for the rest of us yeah alan oh no go ahead oh yeah it definitely has helped with um architecture because it helps me create a portfolio as well um to show to the schools and i've already had this experience with it um and i just want to you know get better at it with the architecture so it shows them that i'm interested in it so definitely enjoy it that's that's really cool. Even building the portfolio, I didn't I didn't think of that. That's that's mm-hmm. awesome. Alan, what about you? What tell us tell us why backwoods oddities is, is your passion? 
Well, when we first started out, we went through several different themes. We we named ourselves Backwoods Oddities because we did a hillbilly theme. Uh, we did a, a medical disaster theme, a toxic waste theme, and then we added the last carnival and made Backwoods Oddities our parent company because we, my daughter, uh, wife at the time, and I watched a movie that was uh, about an evil carnival. We decided we wanted to try an evil carnival, and we have stuck with it ever since. Uh, re-theming when we were small was fun. Uh, but then as we grew, it became very, very hard to retheme an entire haunt. So we decided to keep things interesting instead of retheming, we would expand every year. And that's actually worked out better for us. Uh, so we are the last carnival presented by Backwoods Oddities. And, uh, we have, I, I like Sean's point about the flow. Uh, we have the main part of the carnival, when you're leaving the buildings, you get into the maze, from the maze to an arcade part, and from an arcade part to the woods, which is like the campgrounds for the carnival people. Uh, you come back through that, back into the maze, and lots of neat things. The two doors, uh, number two doors, is one of our uh, inside tricks, and if you ever get to come out, you'll love that. But um, it, it gives a, a neat flow to go through a carnival experience of actually seeing carnival acts shows bits and pieces arcade the campgrounds and then ended up back into it and then of course chased out with chainsaws okay so basically you've told us that you have a humongous haunt then uh, we are <laughs> how big is it? it it's uh it's a how do you store it <laughs> yeah, uh, oh no not that question <laughs> don't take it down it stays up year-round stays up oh, wow. year round not take it down uh we build on it year round um if you just count the buildings 150 square feet or, or sorry 1500 square feet but if you count the woods the maze and everything 200,000 square feet it's uh it's a solid acre all in itself uh it it's uh it's a lot it's a lot um we don't take it down we have pallet mazes um that we've got weeks in building the initial and now we just tear down and rebuild the parts that are starting to get a little weak uh and then we've got actual buildings uh we went from a three-car garage where we started our initial haunt and we no longer have a garage it's just haunt constant uh everything stays up yeah that's something that affects my haunt um, I can't leave it up all year round. It'd kill all the grass. Um, and that affects how we make our stuff. Uh, we have to uh, keep in mind that it needs to be stored in sheds. It needs to be stored in the attic. It needs to be stored in the garage. So we make our stuff so that it's able to be taken apart, put, that, put, put back together easily. Our mausoleum is around 15 pieces that you would take apart. Um, so all that is stored away in a shed. Everything is out of the way and then we bring it all out beginning of October and set it all up. With your architecture classes you'll see a huge difference in your designing once you're able to leave things up. We used to have to build everything modular because mm -hmm. we would tear it down to re-theme so 
we would build things that could be multi-purpose and could be moved from one area to another. And then when we decided that we were going to stay with the last carnival theme for at least the next three years until my daughter takes over, she turns 18 in three years and then the haunts hers, it may change the theme then. But anyways, for the next three years, we've decided that we're going to stick with this theme. And we, we started building more permanent things. I, two years ago, I built a 12 foot by 12 foot building with a 10 foot diameter circle in the middle that rotates. So as you walk on it, the floor is actually spinning. I was able to build something like that because I don't have to store it. It's a building. It can stay. So that We're is very helpful. Jealous now. Yeah, I'm jealous. <laughs> I would like love as, a giant uh, warehouse. As a home haunt, my, my driveway is where I build my haunt. And I have a very large driveway, thankfully. But I lose it for three months. Well, almost four because of the takedown time. And so my cars are parked almost on the road. Um, where I live, it's like very rural, thank God. Because uh, if it wasn't rural, I'd hate to see the traffic. <laughs> uh, we have uh, a lot of a lot of coverage of where, like where we're covering our haunt. We have to make sure we tear it down. Um, and I just lost my train of thought. Sorry about that. <laughs> it's just the the amount of stuff that we put up and take down is amazing. But to have a spot where you can leave it up. I, I, I missed that because I did I had that at one point, but you're we're just not worthy of you, Ellen. <laughs> no, no, I just got very fortunate with that. But this brings me to a question I have for you. You mentioned earlier, uh, I think we might have been in a break, that you skipped a year and you may not open this year. How does that affect your overall traffic flow missing a year? Obviously, we're all aware that a lot of haunts may not be able to open this year. So does... Well, regulars it was we were actually surprised um we uh, like made the announcement that we we're taking the break due to uh, family issues that we were having and then when we put up the posters for the following year i had people emailing me and texting me when is it open can we come see it now uh, it just made it seem that people wanted to come even more because they had seen what we had done before they wanted to come back and they were bringing friends and they were coming back multiple nights so it was I was actually thinking that it would be a quiet year the first year we reopened, but it was busy. Did you still have people come by on your off year? We had a few um, on our off year. I did set up one room in our carport um, so that if any trick or treaters came by or anybody that had knew, knew what we've done before, they could still get a glimpse of what we might be doing the following year. So it it was really surprising to see how many people did come, even on our off year. Our intentions are to open this year unless we absolutely are not allowed to open. And I'm just, I was wondering how that may affect us if we just physically aren't allowed to. Um, hopefully it makes next year even better. But this year's going to be amazing. We have five weekends in October. That's going to be our fifth weekend for us. So we're hoping we can open it. It'll be record setting. And there's a full moon on Halloween. <laughs> I know, right? And time changes. Halloween night. And it's on a Saturday. So, I mean. Mm -hmm. And then 2020 said, wait, hold my beer. <laughs> exactly. I know, right? No, but right now in our area, um, 
they haven't lifted the restrictions for large outside gatherings. Now, in the haunt, I can keep the numbers down. I only let so many people in at a time. I know how many staff people I have in there. It's the lineup that is uh, keeping me from wanting to open this year. Now, I have, um, and like my husband's immunocompromised, and some of my actors are too. And to have that many people come through right now, it, it just kind of scares them all. So, it's more of a I health am. thing. I, I do. I am. Yeah, Will as you of be now. Requiring masks. Oh. <laughs> that might be smart. I was just going to ask: Are are you going to require masks to go through and and see everything for Andrew and Alan? Unfortunately, we we don't know yet. Obviously, Florida is quite a hot spot right now. Um, but fortunately for our haunt, it's all outside. There isn't a walkthrough, so you don't really get in close contact with people. We're still planning on doing it. We're going to set up. Um, and if people come by, they come by. We'll have our online donations. Um, but yeah, as of now, we, we're still going to hold the event. It brings up interesting... Go ahead. Sorry. I'm sorry, Al. Uh, we're going to open. And as of right now, we're planning on requiring masks. And to encourage people to bring masks and to wear masks... We're going to use that as our coupon this year. If you bring your own mask, you get a dollar off your ticket. If we have to provide a mask, you pay full price. And obviously, we'll be stocking a ton of disposable masks so that we can guarantee that everybody has a mask before they go through. At least that's the plan now. If by some unusual circumstance, COVID just goes away, we won't. But we're pretty sure that's what we're going to have to do. Yeah, for our haunt, we have two main entrances, two large uh, gates that people walk through. Um, so in a way, we have a, some way of controlling the crowds into the haunt, but people can still be out in front of it and see it from the sidewalk, from the road. Um, but if you want to actually enter in, we have that way of controlling it. So we may require masks. Not too sure yet. Now, just Question to change the... Go ahead, Drew. <laughs> Uh, no, you go ahead. I'm, as well, the, question, the question I was going to ask is, um, with your, your haunts, your charity haunts, do you allow some of the charities that are you're donating to set up like a canteen or anything like that? It's a great question. The Huntington uh, Huntsman Archery Team actually runs our concession. So the night that they act, uh, we give a, a portion of the ticket sales, plus they get all of the profits off the concession stand. Uh, makes things way easier for me. I don't have to worry about the concession stand. I don't have to stock it, staff it, anything. They show up, they keep everything, and I did provide them a building, electric, tables, uh, and this year, obviously, they'll have a san sanitation station, but uh, yeah. That that's all somebody else's baby. I don't mess with it, and they get to keep the money. That is a good idea, but uh, we we do not do anything like that. We don't have the the space unless we set up a tent or something on the other side of the yard. Um, but no, we run our whole thing by ourselves. We don't have uh, the charity come out and sell stuff. With our haunt um, last year, we had the Vancouver Island hockey team 
they actually brought everything for the canteen, so therefore they got the entire amount that they made for the canteen. Uh, the year before that, we had air cadets run one. So that, again, they took care of it, and then they got the profits for it. So, it, again, it gives with that happening, it gives the people in the line uh, a visual of who the money is going to. So it kind of ties into what we had talked about previous. Very nice. Do uh, When you guys are setting up and everything, and you have, do you, as home haunters and professional, have to deal with the you know the local government officials you need this permit you need that permit do you do you find it being easier being a charitable haunt as opposed to a you know for-profit haunt that uh it's easier to get a permit to do this and do that knowing where the money's going to well so far i've lucked out with the fact that because we're not a permanent structure we don't have to have a building permit because we're under a certain size we don't have to have a building permit and I also became really good friends with the local fire chief and uh, people like that so that everybody knows. We also talk with the fire uh, the fire department uh, of the other areas around here in case something should happen. Everybody knows who we are. The um, local RCMP also stop by and check in on us. So everybody's actually been really supportive of us. Yeah, for ours, we don't have... Um any enclosed section, so we've never had to worry about anything to do with the fire department, fire marshal. Um, we also don't have an HOA for our neighborhoods. So that also makes it really easy to set stuff up in our in our front yard. We're very rural, uh, so we don't have uh, an HOA, anything like that, as far as uh, neighbors problems that way. We've kept our buildings small enough that they are under the sprinkler requirements at least for the fire code and we have our exits and we train our actors on the exits so we don't have any problems on that way um and like you mentioned being a charity and helping the community we're not looked at nearly as as strictly as just a, a for-profit haunted uh, attraction yeah the charity is almost an excuse to do it that definitely helps and it never hurts to make friends with your local fire marshals either, so that, that always works. Have, have any of you tried to get, like, larger sponsorship to, to maybe help out there? Like, you know, like the Red Cross, maybe do a blood drive or have, um, you know, some of the local nonprofits in the area get more involved. It, it seems that most of your uh, the charities that you're helping are, are specifically local to your area, but have you looked at some of the nationals to say, hey, maybe... Um, you know, if nothing else, fly a banner here or, or something like that? Or have you gone to the local community to say, you know, hey, you know, this insurance company might help sponsor us, maybe throw a few bits, throw a few bucks your way to, to help build onto it, or, you know, the local factory or local whatever business? To be honest, anybody that donates to the haunt at our in our area, we actually put up uh, their signs, um, like the radios that I had, they were they actually came to us and said we want you to use our radios. So we have a sign up for them. Um, a lot of our wood was donated, and uh, we were given farmer pallets, which is a whole bunch of different sizes of wood. And uh, so we put up a banner for them as well. As for international or like a, a national chain, no, I like to keep it local so that everybody in the area knows we're trying to support local. Anyone I else? approached 
I approached a couple larger national uh, charities, and I, I'm not going to mention which ones I've gone to, but they're very well known. And what I found was they wanted a minimum donation, say $5,000 minimum donation, for you to be able to say that you are a charity for them. And if you didn't raise the $5,000, you still had to pay it out of your pocket. So I decided that I would go with more local and less demanding charities that would take what we could afford to give them instead of being able to say we are a blah, blah, blah sponsored or we are sponsoring or raising money for this specific charity and then require a certain donation to be able to use their name, it wasn't worth it. Yeah, for us, um, we've only stuck with the Homeless Empowerment Program in terms of the charity so far, but we've had local businesses who have donated, um, and we've put them on our flyers that we hand out uh, to get their name out. Um, we've also, other local haunts in the area, we've um, put up their names in our haunts to tell people to go check it out. Uh, House on the Hill is one of them in Tarpon Springs. Um, unfortunately, they're not doing it this year uh, because of COVID. Um, but they are planning on doing it next year and also donating to the Homeless Empowerment Program. Very nice. You mentioned an, an additional haunt. Do you guys work with other local haunts that may be for-profit, maybe larger, smaller, or or charity haunts in the area? We haven't worked with anyone up until now. Um, this was the, the first time uh, they invited us out last year to come check it out. Um, and they have done charity work uh, for their haunt. And we asked them if they wanted to uh, work with us for the Homeless Empowerment Program, donate money to them. And they said, yeah, sure. Um, so we are going to be doing with that, uh, that with them in the future. How about the rest of us? We cross-advertise with local haunts. Uh, we'll put their flyers in our ticket booth. They put our flyers in their ticket booth. Uh, if you have a good attraction, when the customers get out, they're excited. They want to go to another one. So we send them to our partner haunts because they're local and it helps the entire haunt community. If we can have 10 haunted houses within 10 miles, we draw people from a hundred miles away. If we have one haunted house and nothing else around, we don't draw from the larger cities. So we encourage our local haunts to do well. So we cross advertise. I cross advertise with a few others as well. Um, there's uh, the Halloween house and house on Dugan that are also uh, yard haunts that are charity haunts and are different levels of scare factor. So I, as people are coming to mind, if you, I tell them, if you want to take your kids to them, these two haunts are good for them. Um, and they do the same for me of, of telling them that my haunt is for adults and teenagers. That's awesome. I, I always loved with haunts the more cooperative than competitive um, uh, strategy with that. And, you know, something as charity haunts, you probably have a little easier time with that 
with your actors. A lot of times, the biggest issue I've had with haunts in the past is it's not necessarily that the owners or operators are really pushing to be um, vocally competitive or, or outside, even though that happens a lot. But your actors uh, can be the problem with it. And I, I've had some actors uh, go to other haunts and behave badly. Uh, do you guys ever have that type of issue with um, your volunteers or anything? Do they represent your haunt and, and the charities you guys are trying to help? Well, I've had that problem. I've not had my actors misbehave that I'm aware of, or that the other haunt owners have come to me and said, "Hey, your your actors weren't, you know, weren't appropriate." And on the other hand, I've not had their actors come through and do anything on toward either uh it's we've got camaraderie between the haunts so it's just not an issue uh we have for-profit haunts that pay their actors and my actors stay volunteer even though they can go 20 minutes down the road and make a few bucks for a season so we just don't have that problem in our area here the actors on purposely go to each other's haunts and we look at what they've been doing to say, hey, I could, be, I could do something like that. Or um, they look at ours and see, we should do it this way. Um, we also have had actors help each other out. So when they're closed, they'll come and actually act in my haunt. And we'll go down and help with building at their haunt. So it's just little things that it's really fun in our area. Very supportive. Fortunately for us, we've never had to experience uh, any problems with actors. Um, but yeah, 10 years ago, we did have a pumpkin smashed by someone. Um, but yeah, we never had anything else a problem. You know, if that's the worst you've ever had happen at your haunt, you're, you're a lucky, lucky guy. <laughs> yeah, we, we set up cameras last year because, you know, you've got some expensive stuff out there and it's not enclosed in the building. So it'd be the worst nightmare to come out on Halloween day or whenever you're having your haunt and, you know, stuff is broken. So don't want that to happen. You know, I've got to say, um, as far as Alan's actors go, uh, a few years back, I, you know, I just recently retired from running a group of traveling actors. And uh, uh, two, three years ago, I was shorthanded with one of my clients and, Alan's people weren't working in that weekend, so they came over to help us out. And I pay I paid my actors, and I basically had to f force money into his actors' hands because they wouldn't take it. You know, I mean, I gave them a place to stay for the night, but you know they weren't interested in the money. And I said, "Look, you've got to take this money. You guys did a great job," and I I, I had to force it on them. I really did. That's funny. Now, and it shows the quality of people who like to work just for the thrill of working. Very nice. Yes. Now, because you're a charity haunt, um, Alan and Andrew, do you guys pay your actors? We do not, no. Uh, we do tickets for every night they act, and they can put them into a Chinese auction at the end of the uh, year. Uh, we give them uh, tickets if they act every night of the or t-shirts if they act every night of the season, uh, things like that, but no, we, we don't pay. Uh, they all understand that 
if I pay them, I cannot donate as much as we do. So they pretty much agree to forego payment so that we can help our community even more. Yeah, we're the same way. We do not uh, pay our actors. Um, our actors are my friends, my sister's friends, so they understand anyways that this is for charity and we're not raising money for ourselves. Um, so, yeah, we don't pay our actors. Do they get community Wait. service hours? Yeah, we, we told them. Um, if we've, We actually uh, reached out to uh, the school um, and uh, on our Facebook, if anyone needs service hours, um, we got that approved by the, the school in the county that you can count this for service hours. Yeah, we don't actually pay our actors, but we do feed them. Um, we have hot meals for them before yes. we start acting. And it depends on the night as to whether it's um, soups or other hot foods like pizza, that kind of thing. Every night they do get fit. Yeah, we feed our actors, too. That is one thing we do. <laughs> well, the, it keeps them from eating the customers, so. <laughs> Have you guys ever had any, like, celebrities or local, you know, big-name people come through your haunts? You know, every year you see around Halloween, you know, local TV personalities will do a do a live remote and and sometimes there'll be somebody down maybe shooting a movie in your area or a local sports group of people will come by and, and see your haunt. Have you ever had anything like that happen? Not We're yet. So from the world that nobody important comes near us. <laughs> Um, we haven't had anybody here either, but we're waiting for Pamela Anderson to, to pop in. She's she's living in Ladysmith now, so. Well, extended no, invitation. <laughs> no, we haven't had anyone uh, famous come through our haunt. Um, but it has helped, uh, you know, get the, the, the word out. And we've had people reach out to us, um, like Screamageddon. They had us out to tour some of their haunted houses they're making for this year. Um, so it definitely has, you know, gotten the attention from other big name haunts. Yeah, I was, I was remembering that uh, there's a haunt in Pittsburgh called Hundred Acres Manor. It's very well known around the country, and they used to. I don't know if they still do, but they used to have a Pittsburgh Steelers night where a couple of people from the team would come out and actually work in the haunt. And the owner and I were having a conversation one time, and he said that. Uh, one of the funniest things he's ever seen is watching a 300-pound offensive lineman refuse to enter a room because they were too scared or, or trying to fit, you know, another 300-pound guy into a clown costume or something like that. It's, it's, it's amusing. I, I can only imagine the hilarity that surely ensued. But um, looking at the clock here, we do probably need to start winding this down. So if there are any final questions from the hosts or from the guests... I do have one question. I'm actually jumping in on this one. Um, it's not really a question so much, but uh, what made you guys, to, I mean, you guys have discussed many different reasons, but with everything that you have to deal with and with everything that you, you the trials and tribulations, at the end of the day, do you still go, this is, you know, what's that one thing that makes you go, this is why I do it? What's that one thing? 
and ladies first. Okay. Well, at the end of every night, I actually ask my actors to tell me the best scare that they had. And as they do that, the animation I get from my actors, how much joy they have at the fact that they made a grown man scream, uh, that they made people run through their room, or they made somebody pee their pants. It just, we're getting these people out of their shells, and just the emotion that they give and the energy they give back to me, it's like, yeah, they know what this is like. It, it's just amazing the, the feeling you get at the end of the night, and all your actors are full of energy as they're telling these stories. Yeah, I would say definitely the reactions from not only the actors, um, but the people who come see your haunt every night asking, hey, how'd you build that? Um, how do you do this? Um, definitely the reactions to uh, you doing it for charity. It's it's the community and the, the actors that you work with, their reactions um, that definitely make it worth continuing. I've got the same story. Uh, I tell you, the weekend before we open for the season, I will be completely fed up. I will swear that I will never build another haunt. I will never open the doors again. <laughs> this is my last year. I'm done. And then we open up, and an hour into it, I am somewhere else. I'm happy again. And when all my actors come out at the end of the night, and they are living on that adrenaline and they're talking so fast that I can't sort all the stories and they're all gathered around and everybody's having a great time. I can't wait to do it again. And, and then you always have when you're out in public in your normal street clothes and you happen to be talking to some random stranger and you, of course you have to steer the conversation towards Halloween. Did you happen to do anything on Halloween this year? And they tell you about this awesome haunt it was really creepy and the actors were great and you ask them what haunt it was and they say your haunt's name that is one of those yeah. wonderful moments i i love when that happens it, it hasn't hop it hasn't happened often but when it when it does that is definitely something that makes you gives you a big old grin oh yeah i even had a person recognize my voice because i was uh doing a spiel for work and they're like wait i know that voice i know that voice and they finally figured out it was from the haunted house. So, <laughs> did any of you That'd guys watch? Did you any of you guys watch the documentary a few years back called "The American Scream"? Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. That was a good one. I think out of I think out of all of them, I think one is still working. I think Manny's is still is. I think Manny is still doing his haunt. Ghoulie Manor went pro. And unfortunately, uh, they've had to shut down. And he's trying to get reopened. And uh, the the last one, uh, um, the father and son, unfortunately, the father passed away. And uh, you know, but I mean, when I saw that, it's like it, I I did not have a home on. I had a I had a graveyard in my front yard in Las Vegas, and it was during the time where nobody was doing anything. Most of my neighborhood was vacant because of the crash in 2008, but I made sure that I had that graveyard, I had speakers out and all that, and I, I would love to be able to do it again. Unfortunately, I haven't had the chance yet. Um, uh, it's been a, a six years since I've done it, but I'm definitely hoping 
Yeah, the hearing you guys talk about it is kind of make me see that and go, God, I wish I could still do mine. <laughs> <laughs> hey, yeah. Jerry, I'll, I'll help you. <laughs> unfortunately, you. unfortunately, I live in a townhouse, and uh, um, we tried doing Halloween last year um, after uh, uh, we had just moved in. Um, long story short, I was involved in a very severe car wreck, so trying to do anything... Uh, around Halloween was very difficult. I was uh, having to use a cane to walk around. I couldn't lift anything. Um, and I would love to be able to. I had 300 pieces of candy. Yeah, we've got kids going trick-or-treating. All right, this is going to be awesome. We didn't have one kid because we had a windstorm that night. And it would have blown. It would have blown. The, uh, oh, it was so cold. And I'm not kidding. And, Jim, you remember the windstorm on Halloween last year. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was so cold that when I took down the the uh, the um, uh, skeleton and, tr- and brought him inside and tried to fold him up, he snapped in half. He was frozen solid. That's how cold it got. And I said, "Okay, well, good thing I only paid ten bucks for this." <laughs> <laughs> I would like to say that you know the spirit that Halloween brings, uh, especially um, in my neighborhood. Uh, how I've seen more and more people decorate, whether that's you know just some small tombstones they put out or they're doing more stuff. Uh, it's definitely inspiring people, and it's that Halloween spirit that you know makes everyone love the holiday. So, you know, Andrew, I've got to say that uh, you mentioned Screamageddon. Uh, we have lots of people. Um, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Sean. Well, that's okay. Uh, go ahead with the Screamageddon. This okay. is an important one. Um, <laughs> you mentioned Screamageddon. Um, my, I, I mentioned earlier that I had, a, I had a troop of traveling actors. Um, we spent six years at their sister park in Indy Scream Park. Awesome. So yeah, they. That's cool. Yeah, I was familiar they, with them and everything. So you mentioned mm-hmm. that, and it's just it, it's like, oh hey, I know about that. Yeah, I, I've actually never been to it, and I'm going to, if it happens uh, this year, which hopefully it does, uh, I'm definitely going to go out and see it, because um, they saw our stuff on Facebook, and they actually, um, uh, one of the guys asked us um, if he could buy one of the props I was making, mm. uh, and, and we had to tell him no, because it was for our, our own haunt, but uh, that opened up into him inviting us out to go see their haunts tour a few houses that they're building um and you know create that connection that maybe you know i may be building something for them in the future so well sure definitely not not a bad group to get involved with i can tell you that right off the bat you know just no yeah they're very passionate about what they do absolutely and it's nice to hear that you're getting a business started without even trying (laughs) they won't they want you to do this (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I'm going off to college, so we'll have to see what time I have. Uh, but definitely in the future. Any final questions? I'm good. Well, guys, normally this is the time of the show that we call the plugs. But before we do the plugs, I'd like you to uh, once again tell us the ha- the charities that you support and where people can get information about those said charities, if, if you know of websites or social medias or anything like that. Alan, uh, let's start with you. For people that want to know the 
charities that you support again? What are those? And if you have that information, where can people get more information about those charities? Our primary charity is Southern Ohio Survivors Cancer Foundation. Uh, secondary is the Huntington Huntsman Archery uh, Team. Uh, believe it or not, we have their links on our website. I know you just want to know the charity stuff, but I'm going to go ahead and give it to you. Our oh, website bye. is our website's www.bwohaunt.com. You can find all of our social media stuff on there, and you can find links to all of our charities on there as well. Very nice. Andrew, how about you? Where can people get information about Haunt for HEP? And if your haunt has a social media or website, please let us know how we can get more information. Yeah, so Haunt for HEP, we have a Facebook page. It's just Haunt for HEP. Um, but the Homeless Empowerment Program, they have their own website. It's www.hepempowers.org. And you can find more information about what they do, their mission. Um, and they do have some donating and volunteering options on there. Do they have the option to volunteer at your haunt on there? Uh, I'm not sure if they do, <laughs> but uh, you can, <laughs> if you want to volunteer at our haunt, it, it'd be easier to contact us through the Facebook page. Very nice. Haunt for HEP, that's H-E-P. Yes. And Chandra, how about you? What are some of the, the, again, the charities that you support, if they have websites or social media, and yours as well, even if you're not opening this year? Okay, well, we uh, donate to Brecken Lane's Youth Bowlers. Uh, we also donate to the Ladysmith Food Bank, the Nanaimo Loaves and Fishes Food Bank, the Vancouver Island University Hockey Team, and we also donate to the local high school, the Ladysmith Secondary School, the prom committee so that the uh, prom activities can be a wonderful event the, that reduces the uh, fees for the actual graduates themselves for their prom. Uh, most of these, the Brecken Lanes has their own website, so does the uh, Ladies Miss Food Bank and the Nanaimo Lowe's and Fishes. Uh, VIU hockey team, you just go to the uh, university, they do have a place where you can donate there. Um, and for the Ladies Miss Secondary School, I don't think they have an actual donation button on their their form but uh, it's still something that we donate to and do you have does Heward's Haunted House have a social media or website we do have a Facebook page under Heward's Haunted House and if anybody should want to contact us you can message us through there um, if they want to volunteer we're always looking for volunteers because uh, the more family members we have in our home haunt the creepier it gets <laughs> Absolutely. Well, ladies and gentlemen, it has been an absolute pleasure to have you here on the Big Scary Show's Roundtable of Terror. Remember, folks, not only should you support your local haunts, also support your local home haunts and, of course, the ones that support various charities do a world of good for the local community. So get out there and support each and every one of those that are going to be open this year. It's going to be a crazy year, folks, so if you get the opportunity get out there and do so but we couldn't do this with go ahead was there a final word there i did want to say um us charity haunts we scare because we care very nice yes. not <laughs> not to be not to be confused with the scares that care charity convention that we will no. have back on the show later on because 
they do excellent work as well. But of course, along with our wonderful guests, we couldn't do this without our wonderful hosts, including Storm. It's Canadians. They can get away with things that almost sound copyright. But honestly, a great conversation <laughs> tonight. I, I love I love the you know how energizing it is to talk about your haunts and the charities, the stories of your charities, and how those charities fuel your um, you know your haunt passion. That, that's really fun tonight, and it helps us too as as the hosts because you know we're not just stuck on these strange charities that Jim keeps recommending. You know that that, that weird one he wants us to donate to the the craft beer for unknown scare actors I, I still don't understand where the money's going on that one <laughs> uh, it's, i tell you exactly where the money's going it's going into the beer I'm drinking it's going around his waist he's supporting the spirit oh the footprints on my jokes listeners Just uh, somebody needs to keep a tally sometime just when my <laughs> jokes get trampled on <laughs> He still keeps cashing my checks. I'm on a automatic deposit with him. Anyway, <laughs> speaking of Meat Hook Jim. Uh, let's see what kind of craft beers I can get into this week. Mm-hmm. The Haunstrumentalist Jerry Vane. I think we lost him. Uh-oh. Well, apparently we did lose Jerry. So anyway, folks, jerryvane.com. Go check out his music and all that good stuff, and we'll get a quip from him next time. Ah, wait, well, he's back. It would be nice if, if when I go to hit the button to unmute the mic, it doesn't hang up the call. <laughs> <laughs> there, there's my part of the bit. And that was great. Uh, my name is Drew Badger. I uh, want to wish Andrew good luck at college. My daughter is entering her sophomore season, her sophomore year at college. We're taking her up in a couple of weeks, so... That will be a joy. Awesome. Thank you so much. (laughs) Go Gators. There you go. Once again, folks, this is the Roundtable of Terror here on The Big Scary Show. Boy, I thought Jerry left to go hide that red panda. (laughs) (laughs) Not to be confused with the furry brown beaver. Oh, don't forget all the, you know, the tigers and everything, I suppose. Hey, I was leaving the beaver out of it. You know, now I'm perplexed uh, by this beaver. Not, it, not in New Orleans, you <laughs> well, what, what I need to know is, I was in New Orleans. I didn't see you, Drew. I definitely didn't see the beaver. Where were you guys hiding? I was all over the place. With their beaver. With my beaver. <laughs> um, I I literally broke every single security guard, sheriff, or um, bouncer that was in that place. <laughs> I think there's a walking tour available now in New Orleans for it. Of a beaver. <laughs> <laughs> well, should it get back to New Orleans, you'll have to come and see me and visit my beaver. Uh, yeah, you'll see me. I, well, I was, you, well, uh, you have to drive through. You have to drive through Ohio to get to get to to uh, um, get to New Orleans, so you can show off your beaver in Ohio. <laughs> Longest after segment conversation ever. Buckeyes and beavers. (laughs) She probably wouldn't want to do that because she'd have to explain the joke. (laughs) Yeah, you just have to look at some of the posts on Facebook um, and you'll see my beaver there. There's a Facebook group for her beaver already. Well, I all I can say is a lot of people people pet my beaver. A they few of them had beaver. wet hands, and uh, we'll we'll just leave it at that.
Well, it's a story as big as the wild hog at the center of it all. Center Some are saying all. this is the biggest wild hog ever. People are seeing a monster of epic proportions. Bladesman, big old monster on the big scary show.
like some kind of monster, 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 kind of monster. Are you looking for a comprehensive ticketing solution for your haunted attraction? HauntPay has the answer. We skip the features you don't need and focus on the ones you like, such as timed ticketing and repeat time slots, variable ticket types, bundle and combo tickets, social media discounts, and now featuring all-in-one options including managing your tickets online and at the door, as well as upselling and managing your merchandise and concessions with a comprehensive report on everything at the end of the night. Head on over to hauntpay.com and get started in 60 seconds for free. The legend of Frankenstein once again brings terror and nightmare to the screen in Lady Frankenstein. Joseph Cotton is Baron Frankenstein. The bullets Devil with his face, I don't care what he looks like. I want him to live. Sarah Bay is Lady Frankenstein. That is what they call your father's life's work, a monster, and they're right. They are not right! She's beautiful, she's evil, and she'll do anything for love. Would you like to have my body bend to you? Would you like to make love to me? She creates a new, more terrifying monster. And only the monster she creates can satisfy her strange desires. Using her beauty and her scalpel, she cuts deeply into men's hearts. Yes, you're right. Kill it. There has never been a movie like Lady Frankenstein. Rated R. Greetings, listeners, and welcome. Watch out. Don't trip over that torso. It's time for Between the Corpses. Greetings, listeners. Meat Hook Jim here. And on this episode of Between the Corpses, we are going to journey south of the border to learn a little bit more about Mexican funerals and customs. The way Mexican culture treats death and dying is different from what many people are used to. Rather than shy away from the subject of death, Mexican tradition addresses the issue openly and honestly. You can observe this difference in the Mexican celebration known as the Day of the Dead. Each year on November 2nd, people in Mexico and worldwide celebrate the lives of those they have lost. They give gifts of food, candles, and sugar skulls to their dearly departed, and they may even dance to a Mexican funeral band. It's also more common to share feelings of grief within Mexican death culture rather than grieving privately. As in every culture, Mexican funeral customs vary from family to family and community to community, but there are a few specifics that you can expect to encounter. Mexican funerals of the past focused more on celebration than grief. Death was seen as the start of a new journey, rather than the end of a single journey. Mexican death rituals and funeral customs in the modern era mimic those ancient rites in many ways but they have also incorporated many modern practices. In Mexican culture, it's common to hold a death vigil, or wake, immediately after a death. The body is present for the vigil, and the family surrounds it in prayer for up to 48 consecutive hours. 
A Mexican weight customarily features an open casket and photos of the dead are displayed as a tribute. The family or family friends may serve food at the wake in a separate room. They may even be games, like dominoes. Visitors are encouraged to spend time in both spaces. This way, they can offer their condolences and join the family in prayer, as well as celebrate the life of the deceased. Many families choose to hold their wake in their own homes. However, they may also hold the wake in a mortuary. The wake isn't a somber affair, but a loud and social one. Children take part and listen to stories about their family member who has passed on. When the wake comes to a close, the next stop for a Mexican funeral is the church. Mexican traditions have close historical and cultural links to Catholicism. Many Mexican and Mexican-American families practice Catholicism and participate in Catholic church services. Because of this close link, a Mex Mexican funeral usually takes place in a Catholic church. Otherwise, another church or community space may be used for the funeral services. Mexican funerals can be large or small, but tend towards the larger size. Immediate and extended family will attend, as well as the family's community of friends. Men and women participate equally. Children also participate in Mexican funerals, and their families don't shield them from the subject of death. A traditional Mexican funeral will feature strong Catholic influences and can also include indigenous traditions. These indigenous traditions will differ regionally and may be specific to a family. A priest typically leads the funeral ceremony, especially when it's in a Catholic church. During the funeral, the congregation will recite prayers for the deceased person's safe journey into the afterlife. Mexican funerals are openly emotional events, and you may hear loud outcries of grief. If you feel like expressing your grief this way, do so. It is generally accepted and even encouraged. Because many Mexican families are Catholic, a Mexican funeral generally includes a Catholic Mass. The prayers are intended to help the deceased continue along their journey to the afterlife. Prayer plays an essential role at a Mexican funeral as well as before and after the ceremony itself. A Mexican family who has lost someone will continue to pray for their safe journey for nine days straight following the Mass. These prayers are called novenas. You can expect to spend about the same time at a Mexican funeral as you would at any other Catholic funeral. They generally last about an hour. After the Mass, the congregation will spend another half hour to an hour at the burial site, with more prayers and rituals performed. A reception will take place after the burial and can last several hours. If you are attending a Mexican funeral, it is best to plan on spending the entire day at the event. The guidelines for acceptable behavior at a Mexican funeral may differ from what you've come to expect. If you are attending a Mexican funeral, keep the following etiquette requirements in mind. What you wear to a Mexican funeral will be much the same as what you would wear to any other funeral. Dark colors make the best choice, and you should choose formal apparel over casual. Men and boys should wear dark slacks and dress shirts or suits. Women should wear dark, modest blouses, skirts, or dresses. Mexican funerals have a few strict rules when it comes to how you should behave. As long as you show respect for the dead, 
You can express your grief however you see fit. Even shows of celebration are permitted. There are some general etiquette rules regarding how you should behave in Mexican social event, though. To show respect for family members who are older than you, this is very important, address them using formal titles like Senor or Senora. If you want to give gifts to the mourning family, consider bringing food or other tokens of respect to the wake. A personalized candle makes a simple but thoughtful gift for a Mexican funeral. Depending on the family's preferences, donation to the family's church may be also appreciated. You can also bring flowers to the wake or send them to the funeral location. Lighting a candle for the dead at the church is also considered an appropriate gift. Besides understanding Mexican funeral customs, it can be helpful to understand what will happen after the funeral. Mexican culture has unique traditions around burial, as well as how they prefer to mourn and remember their dead. Ancient Mexican tradition called for family members to wrap their loved one's dead body in a mat, after which cremation would take place. The family would leave the person's ashes in a ceremonial hut for nine days. Then, and only then, was the deceased ready to pass to the afterlife. Today's customs follow a similar pattern. Family members may gather and pray for nine days. However, modern Mexicans tend to prefer burial over cremation because of the importance of being able to return to visit their loved one as part of Dia de los Muertos, Day of the Dead. Because of that tradition, a practice like scattering the ashes would not be typical. Regardless of what the family decides, the most important part is that their loved one has been laid to rest in a permanent place. It's also common for Mexican people who have moved abroad to travel back to Mexico for burial. This allows a person to find their final resting place next to family members and ancestors. After a death, family members hold the responsibility to keep their loved one from being forgotten. They fulfill that responsibility by visiting the grave each year and by celebrating the Day of the Dead and All Souls Day. Special and additional mourning rituals take place within the first days and months after a death. As mentioned above, the family will traditionally pray for their loved ones for nine days. After those nine days are up, the family will continue to pray and recite the rosary for the deceased at least once per month. After one year, they'll recite the rosary for that person once per year. If the family is Catholic, they may also say Mass for the deceased on the 3rd, 7th, and 13th day after their death. Funerals in Mexico are culturally unique. They maintain a secure connection to the history and folklore of the Mexican people while also incorporating modern practices. Mexican funerals also take place in the United States every day, with Hispanics being the largest ethnic group in the country. If you attend a Mexican funeral, keep in mind that no two families approach death the same way. Pay attention to the people around you and above all, show respect. Well, that is quite a lot to take in and I'm sure some of our listeners are familiar with these, but... uh, I wanted to share it with everybody at large. And I must thank Sarah Kessler, a writer for joincake.com for that article. And we will catch you on the next episode.
Greetings once again, Frighteners. Welcome to yet another edition of the Weister's Haunted Vista. And here we are, August, and we are two months away from you-know-what, right? No, you fathead! Well, for the less um, observant of those around us, yeah, that works. Of course, I'm referring to another two months, and October will be upon us, and our season of seasons will be finally here. <laughs> Despite all the chaos around us between the runaway virus and all the political meanderings and all the violence in the streets, I have a funny feeling Halloween 2020 will be the year of the home haunter. I mean, granted, a lot of the commercial haunts are going to be down for the count this season, but I guarantee you they'll be back up and running next year. But as for the rest of it, this is the year for those of us who prefer this sort of thing to basically go for broke and knock everybody's socks off. My darling wife Lisa and I are no exception to this rule. And we are going to knock it out of the park this year, so be watching. But in the meantime, we are going to resume with part five of the horror of it all. And we start in at number 60. Beware of the blob, it creeps and leaps and glides and slides across the floor. Right through the door, all around the wall, a splotch. All right, all right, don't be throwing eggs and tomatoes on me on this one. The original 1958 version of this, which was actually Steve McQueen's initial starring vehicle, which really cracked me up because he was in his late 20s, early 30s, and he was playing a teenager in this flick. Actually, this is a creepy little film. It established quite a few traits, not to mention Blobfest, out in the Pittsburgh town where it was filmed back in 58. And this little festival of all things blobby goodness keeps going year after year after year. But regardless of that, the blob did 
become a hit, so much so that it really ingrained itself upon the cultural subconscious of our country. And this film has been hanging around for a long time, so much that it inspired a 1972 sequel called Beware the Blob, directed by none other than Larry J.R. Ewing Hagman, and featuring a gaggle of guest stars including Burgess Meredith, Cindy Williams, and so many others I can't really list them all here. Again, very campy. I first saw it when Svengooli was actually son of Svengooli in the early 80s, but I always got a kick out of films like The Blob and Beware the Blob because only the stupid people got eaten by this thing, this microorganism from outer space. But that also brings us to 1988's remake, which turned it into more like a bioweapon gone wild. This was just ooze on parade with some really nifty gore effects. And the blob itself was just this big multi-tentacled mass that just basically tried to digest an entire town. Cute, but again, not something I would call a classic, not like the first two. There was rumors for quite a few years that Rob Zombie was going to try and redo this film, but that never came to fruition, so... As it stands, you still have the original 1950s classic, and if you actually go to Blobfest when it resumes next year in Phoenixville, Pennsylvania, you can actually see a container of the original gelatinous mass. Just don't stick your finger in it. Or go for it. Let's see what happens. Number 59. got a two-way tie here for you. 1998's Blade and 2002's Blade 2 put Marvel Comics back on the map in a big way. As it stood by the release of Blade 1, the company was in severe financial trouble and was on the verge of bankruptcy, and this film saved their bacon, so to speak. Blade 1 plays more as a straight horror film, and Wesley Snipes fits the character of Blade perfectly, as does Chris Christopherson as Whistler, though I always found it strange how they handled the character of Deacon Frost via Stephen Dorff. It was a far cry from the interpretation that Marvel created back in the old Tomb of Dracula comic book. Remember that? See for real? Marvel bet big on this film, and director Stephen Norrington put a nifty little uh, cliffhanger, if you will, at the tail end of the film, where Blade and his female companion are being observed by a shadowy figure. That shadowy figure would have turned out to be Michael Morbius, the living vampire, in the sequel, but alas, Norrington didn't direct it, but Guillermo del Toro did. And Blade 2 in 2002 was probably one of the best comic book horror slash crossovers that there's ever been. Marvel really outdid themselves, and so did Del Toro, who said he really loved doing this film. The Reaper storyline, a continued in-depth look at the relationship between Blade and Whistler, not to mention Norman Reedus making one of his best turns as a slimy tube coat little weasel in this film really add to the action not to mention the fact some of the guest appearances i'm not going to give any away go figure it out yourself plus an interesting look at the vampire cultures showing that they were not all just ruthless bloodsuckers as well and more action than you can shake a stick at pure comic book heaven and a foreshadowing of things to come with marvel comics and on to number 58 
1964 saw the release of Godzilla vs. Mothra, a.k.a. Godzilla vs. The Thing, here in the United States. Considered one of the classics of the original Showa era, which ran from 54 to 75, this is the final film with Godzilla as a genuine threat. He's truly an engine of destruction in this film, and his look is based upon the Japanese ghost cat legends, and as well as the most beloved as well. Mothra is sleek and elegant, and the plotline is very adult and much more sophisticated than a lot of what followed after it. The storyline is played very straight with object lessons in corporate greed, honesty, and honoring your promises. The visual effects are a genuine treat. This was the best the original series ever got, and it shows in terms of the destruction sequences, the battle sequences, and how the military is portrayed as well. Truly a family film and one of the best ways to introduce your young ones to the Godzilla franchise if they're so inclined. One of the best of the best of the best, sir. And on to number 57. In the late 1970s, Dracula was revived as a stage play in New York City, featuring one Frank Langella to immense success. A much more sensual and sexual portrayal of the Count was not to be seen and it was quite well heralded at that point in time. Universal Studios, eager to cash in on their classic property, launched a remake of the classic 1931 film and lo and behold, and it was a hit. This is a much more atmospheric and romantic telling of The Legend of Dracula. Langella is probably one of the suavest, and dare I say it, most handsome of all the bloodsuckers who has preceded and followed him. And there's a genuine romantic tie to this film that is lacking from a lot of the other Dracula films. Most people did not care for this one. It's kind of lost in the mists of time. But there are some gorgeous photography, beautiful set pieces, and a nice gothic atmosphere hanging over everything. Then you add... Sir Lawrence Olivier as Professor Van Helsing himself, also throw in Donald Pleasance as Dr. Seward, not to mention a pre-Doctor Who Sylvester McCoy as the house butler. Take note, he only shows up in a few scenes, but he's rather comical. Not to mention a handful of really horrifying sequences, and of course the notorious lovemaking sequence, which doesn't really hold up all that well, but that's besides the point. Langello pulls the count off beautifully and if you want to see this one with your date i highly recommend it and on to number 56 1973 saw the release of Lemora, a child's tale of the supernatural. A very low budget, let's face it. This thing is on the same level as children shouldn't play with dead things in terms of budget. <clears throat> in other words, non-existent. But it's a creepy little piece of vampire fiction. I saw this when I was very, very young. It's hard to find. I'm pretty sure it's available on YouTube. But it definitely has its moments despite its cheapness and its creepiness about a young girl staying for a summer, which turns out to be an eternal summer with a vampire queen and all of her minions and the various people who run across them and basically end up on the menu. It's thick, it's ponderous, atmospheric, foggy, and has a definite feel of the 1970s all over it. Yeah, like I said, there's this inherent cheapness, but it kind of works to its favor. Take note of some of the vampire makeups in this film. They're pretty impressive. 
The plot twists are also well worth the price of admission alone. I strongly recommend this one just to show you how far vampire fiction has come from way back in those days. And on to number 55. Twenty ten saw the release of the remake of The Wolfman, a strangely disjointed but a lot better than critics would lead you to believe film, which was troubled by all sorts of production problems, cast decisions, and things of that nature from the very start. The film was actually scheduled to pop up in two thousand eight, and that just give you the, an idea of the nature of the problems they were having and how far they went deep. As I said, the film is troubled and a bit disjointed, but has some fantastic plot devices, great special effects, and some fantastic makeup done by Rick Baker himself, a nice update of the classic Jack Pierce, Lon Chaney Jr. look. Benicio carries the film beautifully. This is years before his jump into the Marvel Universe as well, and Emily Blunt does a nice turn as the damsel in distress savior of Gwen Cooper. As I said, it's a bit of a mess, and it really got shoved under the carpet back in 2010, but it's a well-done film, despite all its problems, and I highly recommend it. And yes, I will be getting to the original Wolfman soon enough. And on to number 54. Horror films that poke fun of the genre are not exactly something new. Young Frankenstein, The Monster Squad, Abner Costello Meet Frankenstein, The Scream series, etc, etc. So when Cabin in the Woods showed up in 2011, I was skeptical. I mean, this is your basic semi-mad slasher, semi-sci-fi flick, but there are so many in-jokes and references, not to mention tons of guest stars. Sigourney Weaver, anyone? that it really makes the film a bit special, and the last 15-minute monster mash brings it all to a nice conclusion. It's a farce, it's an amusing farce, and there's some really good special effects, and as I said before, those last 15 minutes are a huge payoff and a lot of fun. See how many of the classic monsters you can identify during that part. This doomsday scenario slash comedy horror works well, and it was a big hit. It's not something for little kids, it's pretty bloody at parts, but it's also very funny, and like I said, it satirizes the entire genre wonderfully. I chuckled more than I screamed, more than anything else with this one. Enjoy, and on to number 53. After the release of 2004's Land of the Dead, George Romero made a very controversial decision and decided to reboot his zombie franchise and put it in the modern day. 2007's Diary of the Dead, which is essentially the zombie apocalypse for the YouTube generation, really polarized his fan base. He either loved it or hated it. I personally loved it. It's smart, it's witty, it's funny, and it follows the exploits of a group of film students and their teacher as the world collapses while they're trying to make a low-budget horror film for that final passing grade. And needless to say, things go from bad to worse to horrible as the film progresses. Is this Romero's best work? No but it has some of his most biting 
most current social commentary he ever did within the pages of this flick. Not to mention the fact the gore is minimal here, so if you're looking for the gut-munching thing, it's not going to happen here. It's more suggested. And this is a few years before The Walking Dead happened. And just for the record, if you watch this film really, really carefully, a lot of the ideas Romero presenting here, Steven Spielberg snatched up for a Super 8 film. Don't believe me? Watch the two of them back to back. Again, a very funny and somewhat witty and rather cynical look at modern technological society, but a lot of fun too, and quite, quite funny. I can't emphasize that enough. Watch it. You'll see what I'm talking about. And on to number 52. As far as the giant monster thing goes, Japan, followed by America, pretty well has the majority of the lion's share of good films of this. But don't leave England out. They produced a couple of really well-done sophisticated ones, and in particular, 1961's Gorgo stands head and shoulders above a lot of the competition. Smart, well-paced, and very well done for its time, remember this is the early 60s, Gorgo shows what happens when mankind starts meddling around with stuff he isn't supposed to. A baby creature is caught off the coast of England and brought into London's Piccadilly Circus and put on stage as an attraction. Little do they realize this is a baby. Mama comes a calling and she's three times bigger and three times meaner and you can just imagine what happens next. Sophisticated, well scripted, well played, and Gorgo, as far as a creation, is probably one of the best of the giant monsters ever. He's not as well remembered as, say, Godzilla or Kong, but this is a well-done flick and well worth your time. And I don't say that about a lot of the old big monster or big bug films easily, because believe me, the films have dated. Not this one so much. It shows what would happen if a creature of this immense size would come into town a call and trying to tear the place up to get its baby back. Well, well done. And on to number 51. With Hammer's success with their 1958 release of Dracula with Christopher Lee, obviously a sequel was in the cards no matter what happened or how much dust Christopher Lee's Dracula had been reduced to. Unfortunately, Mr. Lee didn't want to do a sequel right out of the gate, and it took Hammer seven long years to get him to even consider returning to the role. So, a sequel was commissioned titled The Brides of Dracula, and basically, they substitute Christopher Lee with David Peel, a 40-year-old actor trying to play a, basically a young man as a vampire. He had a wig and the whole bunch of makeup on him. And it does work, but he is nothing next to Christopher Lee's Dracula. Still, this is a stylish one. Peter Cushing returns as Professor Von Helsing, and there's a lot of action. And some interesting twists and turns in here. The colors and the sets are gorgeous, as was Hammer's trademark lush in their design and in their visuals. And, as I said, it's a run-of-the-mill vampire invades a girl's dormitory plot, but it has its twists and turns, and as I said, this is a young Hammer, and they spared no expenses, and the film really works on certain levels. As I said, 
David Peel is Baron Meinster. He leaves a lot to be desired, but as an antagonist, he's a pretty good matchup to Peter Cushing's Van Helsing, and it has a nice fiery climax in a windmill. Watch it with a friend or a loved one. It really has a certain style all its own. And we are going to stop there for now. That leaves us the halfway point. 50 films in, 50 to go. Next time on The Vista, we're going to take a break from this. The recent Home Haunters Roundtable of Terror and the Home Haunters Show left me with a few things I wish to go into with my wife and my 15th anniversary of home haunting from the apartment level. And I will be discussing a few of the things we've learned in the past 5-6 years since I did last approach to this subject and some advice and possible ideas for those of you who are wanting to try something like this. I was asked quite a few interesting questions by some of the guests on that roundtable and next time around I wanted to expand my thoughts thereof. We'll pick up with the horror of it all again in two shows time. But until then, if you want to drop me a line, erweister at woh.rr.com I'm not on social media right now because it's just too irritating also take a gander over at my blogspot page the Weister's Halloween Haunt Journal full of news and reviews you can use and abuse and here we are two months out from October everyone be safe you home haunters let's rev this up and make this a really special one and always remember Sven Gulli's credo and brush your fangs comb your face drink your milk before it clots Bite mama good night. Get that dry lock and styrofoam going. Be safe, have fun, and we'll see everybody again in two weeks' time. Take care until then. Jason, Witch Camp, on the Big Scary Show. I was a magical child. Just a little bit wise and a whole lot of wild. Make a potion and cast a spell. Turn lead into gold, but I could do that as well. As above, or so below. Ain't nothing in this world. Didn't wanna know But ears can hear And eyes can see So my folks decided then They had to set me free Send the boy away For a summer at witch camp Off you go to stay For a summer at witch camp Send the boy away for a summer at witch camp. Off you go to stay for a summer at witch camp. 
welcome to the wood We call upon the elements So mote it be for good Five beauties formed a circle Of perfect love and trust Five kisses I was given Into a renewal I was thrust We often from the water And unto her we shall return Our hearts ablaze with fire That gives a light but doesn't burn So merry meet And blessed be Be good to magic children And they will be good unto thee Send the boy away For a summer red witch camp Off you go to stay For a summer red witch camp Send the boy away For a summer red witch camp Off you go to stay For a summer red witch camp up your show need to pump new life into old props just want to show something no one else has do what Alice Cooper distortions unlimited and a-list haunters all over the world do wear von Karen durable handcrafted dependable year after year von Karen when you scare enough to wear the very best von Karen.com VON C-H-A-R-O-N dot com As we slide back into the swamp where we hid the body, we would like to thank the following sponsors. Screamline Studios Dark Imaginings Von Caron Productions Haunt Pay Ticket Leap and Creepy Collection we would also like to thank Virgil Franklin, master of the Ether Muse, as well as the Fordga hosts, including Storm, Rants, and more, HauntMinute.com, 
the unknown scare actor, actor trainer, and traveling actor troupe. For more information, check out maulmonsters.com. That's M-A-U-L monsters.com. Drew Badger, actor trainer and consultant. Find out more at rabidbadger.org. And Jerry Vane, the Haunstrumentalist. For all your heavy metal and haunt needs. JerryVane.com. And finally, you, the listener. Without you, we are nothing. The Big Scary Show is copyright Big Scary Show LLC, and no rebroadcast of this show may be made without express permission of the owners. All music used on The Big Scary Show is used with expressed permission of the artists themselves.